Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. I'm your host today, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me is my co-host, the Sith Lord herself, Stella, from the Backworld Oracle Podcast. Thanks for being here, Stella. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to basically changing all of your opinions you have. Whoa! You've tried it for years. I don't <laughs> think you'll get much further tonight than you have. It's going to happen. Really. It's going this, to happen. This is what it took, a Star Wars for that to happen, huh? Yeah. Well, folks, obviously Ryan's not here again this episode. However, just know he's home. He's percolating. He's trying to find his way back to the Force. He's going to get there, I promise you. But just it's it's going to take a little time till he feels the reconnection of the Force, and it, it'll happen. I heard that he is actually being well taken care of by those little nuns that were on, what, Akko, Akko T, that little planet? Yeah, you know? yeah they are. They're, they bring him fish every day, actually, yeah. They're nur- they're very nurturing, so I think he'll he'll get back that on That and some green milk, he'll, he'll be back on his feet next Absolutely. time. Absolutely, does the body go. <laughs> Well, folks, cleared up my sinuses. Whoa! <laughs> I don't know if that's a euphemism. I'm just going to keep going. So, <laughs> Stella here is relatively new, not to Star Wars, but to Star Wars novels. She just started reading them not too long ago. And she started with the current batch of books, meaning the books that came out after Force Awakens. So, if you're, if you're in the know with Star Wars novels, you know, the old expanded universe is gone, and the new expanded universe is referred to as canon. And so, that's the Force Awakens stuff, and that's what you've been reading. Is that correct? That is correct. What did you start with? So, as like a little history behind this, there have been other times that I've thought about reading these novels. Okay. And I know that there are a couple good ones. I think, what was it, Darth Plagueis? I feel like that might have been a, a well-lauded, maybe I'm wrong. But I was looking for Star Wars novels that were lauded by many people because I didn't yes. want to slog through you know, a bunch of them. But I never got into it, so I, I just didn't. Then I was watching Star Wars Rebels, and I was mm-hmm. really getting into that show. And so I looked up to see if there was anything else that I could read that were related to Rebels. And sure enough, there was this book, A New Dawn. Yep. Start, and so that was basically how Kanan and Hera first met. And so that was my first little foray into the Star Wars novelizations. And that was in November 2017. So it really is recent. And then unfortunately, I, I've discovered that Star Wars novelizations are like a sickness, a disease. Because yes. once you start one, it just like spirals out of control. So I I found Ahsoka, I found Phasma, well I found Thrawn, and then there you know you, you recommended the original Thrawn trilogy, and then Tom gave me Aftermath and Blood. So it's just it just gets out of control very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's what got us to the point where we are today. She read Thrawn, and she and I got talking about it. I'm like, ah, the new stuff, bah. You know, I'm, I'm this old guy, right? I'm an old geezer who have read lots of Star Wars novels. I've read somewhere something like 60 Star Wars books, and you'll be there, sounds like, before no time. But anyway, okay. I've read something like 60 books, but they were all from before the Expanded Universe reboot. And, you know, and what they, by the way, those are now referred to as legends, if you weren't aware of that. I'm sure you probably are if you're listening to this podcast. But anyway, so she was reading the new stuff. I'm a fan of the old stuff. She read Thrawn. I was a big fan of Heir to the Empire. And I said, well, hey, wait a minute. 
why don't I read Thrawn for you and you read Heir to the Empire for me? Or maybe it was your idea. I don't know which one. Either way, we decided to each read a book for each other and then sort of compare and contrast them. We thought that'd be a fun idea. You know, she represents the new canon. She's like the new hotness. And I represent <laughs> legends. So I'm like the old curmudgeon. So there we go. And I will say that it took you the amount of time to read one novel, which is Thrawn, the same amount of time that it took you to do that. I read the trilogy of Heir of the Empire. I think I was checking in with you like, how far did you get? No, 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 no. This is a fallacy. This is not true at all. What (laughs) happened was I reserved Thrawn from the library. Oh, oh, that's true. See, see, and it took... I didn't even get it from the library until you were almost done with the third book in the trilogy, The Last Command. Okay, all right. You want to back up a bit there and say, you're right, Shag, I'm wrong. Yeah, you're right, but it did take you a long time. It's a big book. It had a lot of words. And I had to bully you into this episode. Yes, I I did finish the book a couple months ago, and then she texted me the other day. She's like, are we ever going to freaking do this or not? I'm like, gosh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. She's like, I'm already forgetting the book because, you know, she's starting to get old. She's not there yet, but already some of the brain cells are going. Or alternatively, that uh, I read so many books that details are replacing other details. You can choose whichever one you want to go with. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she is absolutely a kid. The The prequel trilogy came out when she was still in the cradle. So it's, it's true. I think it was up there in the mobile. My mom yep, set she, it up there and it rotated around. I was like, oh, who's that old guy shooting lightning bolts from his fingers? Oh, look, there's George Herbinks <laughs> in my mobile. <laughs> well, folks, before we get too much further, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsor. This episode of Give Me Those Star Wars is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collections, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders over $50 or more. Now, Stella, why don't you tell the folks at home what your InStockTrades pick is for this episode? Absolutely. Unfortunately, I have not read much Star Wars <laughs> comics either because... That's a great way to start any kind of sentence. Unfortunately... Oh, I I'm just well, so I had two, I think, to choose from. I, I think it's the same thing with novelizations. It seems like a slippery slope, and it's going to be, you know, difficult to choose what to do. And then if I start reading some, I'm going to have to read everything. But anyways, one of the things I did read again in the Rebels theme was Star Wars: Kanan, the hardcover omnibus. Discover how Jedi Padawan Caleb Dune became Kanan Jarrus, the cocky, sarcastic renegade hero of Star Wars Rebels, as Caleb trained on. Under Master Depa Bilaba, neither one of them ever suspected. Why are you laughing? Was that a word, or did you just make that up? Which one? Depa? Depa Bilaba. That's fine. Go ahead. Well, how should it be pronounced? But now that I see the spelling, that is exactly how it should be pronounced. Heavens I'm... above. Okay. This is old curmudgeon laughing at new stuff, but go ahead. Yes, yes, yes. Well, okay, never mind. Okay, so anyways, he was training under his master. Neither one of them ever suspected that their quote-unquote loyal clone troopers would turn on them upon the issuing of Order 60. The Emperor's directive to execute all Jedi. How did Caleb Dune escape the Jedi Purge? Then journey even further back and experience Caleb's very first adventure as a Padawan, protecting the Jedi Temple alongside his new master. As they head toward the future battle of Maito, they'll face one of the deadliest threats in the entire galaxy. General Grievous! He's, I, I really like General Grievous. Bridges, Ugh, you don't like to. him? What's he happening prob- here? He was probably in your mobile as well. Oh, my goodness. Bridge, the, he's awesome. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> look at he, Come on, man. Number one, he's got a wheezing problem, so you should True. be sympathetic to that. Wow. And number two, <laughs> number 
too. Clearly, he knows what he's doing because of all those lightsabers he's had. Those are all dead Jedi people. So anyways. Or, or he went to an old antique store, but anyway. Uh-huh. Bridge the gap between the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. It collects Kanan, the last Padawan, 1 through 5, and Kanan, 6 through 12. And the writer, I mean, you've got to give it up here. It's Greg Weissman. And, you know, if you're a fan of Gargoyles or Spectacular Spider-Man or Young Justice, you can obviously trust him as a writer. He cares about that. It was Marvel imprint, uh, I guess, obviously. Artist Pepe Larraz and cover artist for all of them uh, was Mark Brooks. 272 pages, and it was $34.99, but with in-stock trades and this really odd and perhaps illegal uh, <laughs> alliance that uh, in-stock trade has with Shag, uh, you can get it for $20.29. But I think Shag Pocket, some of the rest of that. Just a bit, just a bit. <laughs> no, it's a good pick. Absolutely. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I picked Star Wars Legends Epic Collection Trade Paperback Volume 1 New Republic. I was trying to hone in on something from this episode that we, you know, we th- covered, like Heir to the Empire or Thrawn or whatever. And what I came across was a reprint of the miniseries Star Wars Mara Jade by the Emperor's Hand. Uh, issues 0 through 6, written by Timothy Zahn, uh, adapted by Dark Horse in a comic book form. Great stuff. Now, this includes a lot more than that. Also, a Shadows of uh, the Empire Evolution 1 through 5. Eh, it's okay. The Jabba Tape, Boba Fett Twin Engines of Destruction, and materials from Star Wars Tales, number 1, 3 through 5, 10, 14 through 15, 20, 22, there's a bunch of those. And uh, covers by Duncan Fregretto, and there's 488 pages in this. Same as price as the other one. It's normally $34.99, but you can get it for 42% off, only $20.29 for 488 pages of Star Wars comics. That's amazing. Yeah, you know what I have to say about Mara Jade? Must kill Luke Skywalker. Must kill Luke. <laughs> can, we, can we just get to that when we get to that? <laughs> yeah. I will say, though, in a positive way, uh, the Epic Collections, I'm really loving that Marvel is doing this because I think you and I probably have several, not Essentials, those are the DC ones, Well, I have ones, Essentials right? main showcases. But, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah, so Essentials are Marvel. But now these Epic Collections are great because you're getting that content, but now it's color. Yes. Yes. So it is more expensive sometimes, but it is really nice to see the the color issues as well. It's amazing how much that matters. I'll yeah. digress. Since you digressed, I'll digress for a second. The other night <laughs> I sat down with my uh, Metal Men Showcase Presents, decided mm-hmm. to read that. Not having the colors really kind of takes away. So, yeah. So uh, there are lots to be said for these Epic Collections, certainly. Yep. But for these and all your trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. All right. First things first. Um, you know what? Some things have happened in Star Wars since you and I last talked. What did you, th- oh. you think of The Last Jedi? <laughs> I really liked The Last Jedi. I know that it's, I guess, a divisive film. I feel like all the time when these films come out that people rage against, that I'm always on the side of really liking them, like Man of Steel. You know, I really like, I really like Suicide Squad. <laughs> I was with you for a while there. <laughs> Until I said. <laughs> Until you said Man of Steel and Suicide Squad. You just oh, lost all goodness. credibility. I'm sorry. I know. But, you know, for me, and, and I can see, you know, what people might be saying, you know, I, I think with The Force Awakens and now this one that they're just seeing too much of the original trilogy. But for me and, you know, I was just watching the prequel trilogy. I just enjoy. I know. And you asked me, why are you doing this? But I just enjoy watching Star Wars films. And I didn't have any, I think 
painful moments as I was watching Last Jedi, but I really love Rey. I just think she's an awesome character, and so seeing that, uh, I think I've actually never laughed as much as I ever have in a Star Wars film as I did with this. Just the super wacky characters, specifically aliens that I never expected I would ever see, like the milk creature right. or that opera singer lady at uh, Cantobite, mm-hmm. and also the the beautiful creatures like the um, the horse-like creatures okay. on Cantobite or the crystal foxes. But overall, I I really liked it, and it's you know it's Star Wars for me, so I, I think I'm just going to always give it the benefit of the doubt and and always find positive aspects of it, even when people are saying that it's trash. <laughs> Well, it's a good philosophy. It fits in with my – I always think people should try and find their joy in things. Sure. And if you love Star sure. Wars, find what you enjoy in it. I, For me, I love the movie. I've talked about this at great length in one of our uh, Film and Water episodes about Last Jedi. I love the movie. I think it's a blast. Mm-hmm. It's the first Star Wars movie I've genuinely been surprised at since Return of the Jedi because all the prequels, I could just tell where the story was going. There was never any right. like, oh my gosh moments. And this I, – I could never tell what direction this movie was going. And I love that insert, uncertainty. Uh, yeah. I love the changes, the, the big changes they made with the original cast and where they b- built up the new cast and I had an absolute blast with it. I've seen it several times in the theater and a big, big thumbs up for me. So I'm glad to hear you enjoyed it too. I'm sad though, you know, with Carrie Fisher's passing, yeah. just with how much development she had in this one and then, you know, the ninth one was supposed to be her focus because this one was supposed to be Luke's focus right. and it's sad that she didn't get that chance. I know, I know. Very disappointing and I'm sure they've had to really rework things and I'm sure. I mean, my my assumption's always been they're just they're just going to write her out in the crawl, which is probably the best way to go because yeah. anything they try and film is not going to be nearly as good as what we can imagine. You know, it's right. like, the crawl leaves so much to your own imagination. You can just come up with the absolute coolest way for her to go out. You know, mm-hmm. but all right, let's take a step back. Let's talk. Uh, let's <laughs> talk about your your formation, how you first came into Star sure. Wars. Besides the fact that Jar Jar Binks and General Grievous were floating above you in your mobile. Oh my goodness! So, I can't wait to talk about Jar Jar. How do you, uh, <sighs> Jar Jar is actually one of my favorite characters. No, I asked how you got into Star Wars, not trash <laughs> that you like. Heavens. Okay, I should have been prepared for this. We have actually, an agenda and everything. <laughs> no, I meant I should have been prepared for you attacking me. Oh, I see. It was the trilogy on VHS when it was resolicited, I will say, okay. with the introduction by George Lucas. I think it was 1995. That's correct. It was for my birthday. Mm. And I only for this, my first birthday, yes. <laughs> and I only got one VHS at a time. <gasps> so, yes, that's what my parents said. Wasn't that cruel? So each birth is each subsequent birth. <laughs> <laughs> And then the third. So, of course, I was expectantly waiting to finish up the, the trilogy each time. But, man, I whew, I wore those tapes out. And then I remember the, the trilogy came back into theaters and everything. But that was that was my formation. And then I started getting the action figures for Christmas. Wait, I, w- I want to back up <gasps> a sec. So they, li- yeah. they literally give you one tape a year? That is correct. <laughs> That is awesome. <laughs> awesome, and I think now that I think back, very sad as well. Well, no, because- no, because nowadays kids can just, you know, shotgun the whole thing, that right? Is- yeah. And, and, but it's more fun when you watch one and you have to stew over it and imagine what happens because we had to wait, you know, us old, old folks had to wait like three years in between them. Yeah, that is true. And, and my kids had to wait five minutes until we put the next one in the, in the DVD player. Whereas you, you had to wait a year. So that's actually really cool. That's really clever, your parents. Well done. Well true. done, parents. 
I'll be sure to, to tell them you said that. But yeah, it just, whoo, man, I latched onto that so quickly and, and loved it. And so I've loved it ever since. Awesome. For me, I, I saw them in the theater uh, in 1977. I don't remember seeing oh. it in 77. I remember seeing the re-release in 78, though. But I, I know I did. I had all the action figures. I played with them as a kid. I mean, that was the single most important thing to me was my Star Wars action figures. Everything I did involved around that revolved around them. I had uh, I had 11 of the original 12. They were stolen at school. I took them to school for show and tell. They got stolen from the bus ramp on the way home. I was heartbroken. I was devastated. To this day, it still haunts me. And uh-huh. so um, for the next year or so, my parents made an effort to like buy, rebuy the ones I never, you know, that I lost and all this stuff. Uh, and then I was reading the Marvel comics starting in 1980. So that was really kind of my entryway into the Star Wars universe. I guess we've told your story on how you got into the novels, didn't we? Yeah. Okay. I think I own, though I don't have it with me, it'd probably be at my parents' house, the Shadow of the Empire novelization. I know a little bit about that. Yes, I remember. I listened to that episode I'm in so preparation sorry. for this. Well, I was trying to get some, build up some endurance. I thought I'm going to talk to him, so I need to get his <laughs> voice in my ear right now. Uh, but I remember being in like third grade, I think, when I had it. Uh, that might be the right timeline. I could be wrong. And I didn't have the reading endurance that I had back then, so I don't think I read through the whole thing. But the cover is pretty cool. Well, right. And, and once you got to the rapey stuff in third grade, you're probably like, this isn't my Star Wars. <laughs> if I even understood what was happening, yeah. That's true. That's true. So um, I, I talked about this in the last episode about Shadows of the Empire, but for those of you who didn't read it, I'll just tell you real quick. My interest to the novels was I got in 1984 – this little novel-sized book called A Guide to the Star Wars Universe. And this little tiny book in 84, it's, well, I shouldn't say a little tiny, it's 200 pages. It basically was like a little encyclopedia. It went on, then they did an expanded version, which was larger as a trade version that had like Darth Vader's Typhon on it. And then eventually, I'm pretty sure this became the core of what became known as the Star Wars Encyclopedia, which is probably now a wiki or whatever. But either way, mm. I read this little book, and inside there were all these entries for characters I'd never heard of. And there would be little, notation, little notations, and you found out they were from the Star Wars novels. I'm like, wow, who are these? other characters I don't know about. And I mean, I read this thing cover to freaking cover. So I got really excited about Star Wars. I didn't actually read the novels at that point because I was 11 years old at that point, but I was really excited about them. And then then in 1991, several years later, after Star Wars had kind of gone through its dark times, 1991 comes around, Heir to the Empire comes out. I didn't run right out and buy it. Immediately, I bought it probably a couple weeks after it came out because I get a call from a buddy of mine who's, why are you tweeting about me right now? Goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> my phone's going off. I'm like, getting, what is it? Oh, Stella's well, tweeting about me right now. Oh That's my awkward. goodness. Okay. So anyway, so uh, 1991, Empire, Air to the Empire comes out, and a buddy of mine calls me, and all he says, this is all, this is the entire phone call. He goes, Shag, Wookiees have claws. And I was Whoa. like, what? And then the, my, the second thing out of my mouth was, of course they do. And I immediately went and got the book. And I was in. And that's that was it. That's all it took. And uh, I've been a fan of Star Wars novels. Well, it's hard to say I've been a fan ever since because I haven't really read a lot in the last few years. But uh, it became a lifelong hobby that went from 1991 through, what, 2014 or so. Uh, I kept reading them. Uh, that's that's kind of my origin story there. So you ended with this. You felt like this new canon. Well, I'm jumping off. It's not that I ended. I was already kind of petering out. I mean, the novels were starting to peter out anyway. Uh, I think they saw the writing on the wall with the new movies coming. But I had read Legacy of the Force, which was a nine-book cycle. And and we're like, at this point, we're like 40 years after Return of the Jedi or something. I don't remember. You know, uh, Han and Leia's kids are both are all adults. They're on the verge of having their own kids, practically. And the the Legacy of the Force series actually got me re-energized about Star Wars. It was really, really, really good. Because, like, uh, the new Jedi... I order the stuff with Yuzhan Fong 
really didn't float my boat to. I, I kind of hung with it, but it didn't really thrill me. So Legacy of the Force really brought me back into it. That's basically, and sorry, spoilers, guys. That's where Jason Solo turns to the dark side oh, no. and becomes Not him. And, Not him. Yes, and it was when I read it. I was part of it, you're not going to like this, but uh, I was so excited about it because I was like, "Yes, this is how a hero turns to the dark side, trying to do the right thing." Not what that crap was with the with the prequels, because I, I never really bought any concern to the dark side. Here in those books was a great version of why Jason was leaning on the dark side to try and do the right thing, and how it became such a slippery slope, and how he eventually ends up becoming a, a dark lord of the Sith. And it was like, "Wow, this is totally believable." I was totally into it. Really enjoyed that. Then the next wave came out. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, Fate, of the, Fate of the Jedi. I, I never got a chance to jump in, and then by then it was over. So uh, that's when they killed the legend stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I have read Aftermath. I read the first book. I really struggled with it. I didn't really mm-hmm. care for it. You tell me they get better. Is that right? Yeah. I feel like I can see why someone might not like the, the first book, especially since it's intr- it's introducing this new cast of characters. The son is a little bit whiny, and it's not necessarily a cohesive group. But I feel like the middle one, it really hits something because they have a really good group. And then uh, also you have some Wookiees, yeah. you know, the Wookiees with the life debt. And then and the third one wraps it up. Yes, Claws, which makes Makes sense because they have to climb those large trees. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. So maybe I'll give it another shot. I mean, there were certain aspects I really did enjoy in there, but mm-hmm. I, it, some of it, unfortunately, was down to the writing that, that kept yeah. me out. So that's part of the trouble there. So Legends versus the new canon. All right. Yeah. So what are your feelings on this? How, do, you, do you feel, are you okay? I mean, you came to this just with the new canon. How do you feel about there yeah. being two different universes of continuity to care about? Well, it's a little bit troublesome, I suppose. I think because I'm so outside of it and I didn't really grow up with legends, I can more easily accept it. But I feel bad for some people because, you know, they were, I mean, this was their little life force there, living and breathing it. And, and they got to learn more about the twins, you know, Jason and what's her name, Jane? Jaina, Sword of the Jedi, man. And so now they're gone. And so it's weird to think about that and then go and to Bloodline and, you know, Leia's thinking about her only son, Ben. So I'm I'm sad for people, but I don't know if I have as much of a connection. But now it's just a little weird, All I right. guess. Well, let me ask you that. So you, that same connection of new continuity versus old continuity, how do you feel when you think about Batgirl in pre, mm, pre-crisis yeah. continuity <laughs> To post-crisis continuity, to sure. new to new fifty-two continuity. <laughs> uh, yeah, how do I feel about it? Hmm. Trying to think if it's as weird for me. I don't think it's as weird because I think the stories still somewhat work with pre-flashpoint, pre-crisis. Those somehow work. I mean, there are obviously going to be you're going to run up against items in her bio that you got to throw out no matter what. Senator. Yeah, Con- Congress Roman, um, and the fact that she doesn't. Have a yeah a PhD or anything? I'm sorry, I just felt like I bad splained you. I didn't mean to do it. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, it always usually happens to me, so it's a weird feeling that I just did it to somebody else. Um, <laughs> the Rebirth New Fifty Two is the weirder one, so I would say that's very comparative to this here, this uh, Legends versus Canon, where you just have these stories that exist, but what you're reading now, you don't have those stories anymore. So actually, now I thank you for bringing that up because now I have more empathy towards the pants more than I already did. Now you feel my pain. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So when they announced that, when they announced that this was happening, I mean, were you really, really upset? Did you have this visceral reaction to it? Um, 
I, I was torqued a little bit, but I, I didn't like get really, really. I have some friends that got very angry. Mm-hmm. I, it didn't bother me as much as I thought it would. It, and it, it came down to the crisis thing. I'd been through it before with crisis. Sure. Uh, yeah. I'd been through it with, I, I didn't care about pre-crisis, but I'd been through it with Flashpoint and New 52. And actually I'd been through it with Star Wars once before with Marvel continuity because I really, really got invested in the continuity of the Marvel comics from the period, the original ones, the period between Empire and Return. That was like my mm-hmm. era of Marvel comics. I got really invested in that continuity and poof, it was gone. And so I'd lived through this before. So I, I quickly got to the point where I was like, ah, you know what? I still own those comics. I still own those books. I can reread them anytime I want. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny. Like I kind of forget about it until things like they bring Thrawn back and it's like, oh, wait a minute. That's mine. You can't have my cool stuff just because you wanted to reboot everything. And then, you know, I'm just waiting for them to bring Mar Jade back. That's just bound to happen. It's got- oh boy. My scale Luke Skywalker. My scale Luke Skywalker. You stop. You're, you're such a <laughs> All right, so you've got another good question here. So the books, what purpose do the novels serve for fans? Mm -hmm. What is the reason for them existing? Can someone be a fan without reading the novels? And finally, how do the novels differ from fan fiction? So talk to me here. What what purpose do the novels serve? (laughs) Am I the one? Yeah, I think, was it my question? That's totally your question. (laughs) Okay. I think, you know, it serves for fans exactly as what it's called, right? This expanded universe. I think it, it delves into aspects of Star Wars that just the screen is not able to encompass. There's not enough time in these movies. And so it's able to delve into characters, give more character development, as well as different pockets of the universe and explore things that may never make it to screen. So I think for fans, it's super exciting because you get to visit different places. You get to meet new characters. You might get to meet characters that you already know, but now they are more deeply developed. I would like to say that Wedge Antilles, for whatever reason, is a huge character in the canon now, especially in Aftermath, and I feel like uh, I've never, I think I texted Tom when I was reading this, I said, I feel like I've never focused on Wedge Antilles as much as I have been currently. So it's just little things like that. Now it's a problem, of course, if you don't care about Wedge Antilles and you'll never care about him. But for people who do want to learn more about certain people groups, I think that's, you know, it's the place for them. And it's interesting because I was listening to your previous episode and you were talking about the the Boffins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a friend of Jacob, Jacob and I, we always talk about that and how Mon Mothma says, you know, so many Bothans died. Maybe, wasn't it Mon okay. Mothma who oh, said yeah. that? Okay. And then we saw Rogue One and we're like, what happened to the Bothans? Because, you know, we, we, we never knew. It didn't happen in Rogue One. That's because you got your movies mixed up, dear. Shouldn't it? What do you mean? She says many many Bothan spies died to bring us this information in Return of the Jedi, the second Death Star. Well, easy, easy. Now people are shutting off because they feel like I have no yeah, authority. Lots. It's okay. Lots of people <laughs> made the exact same mistake. Don't worry. Uh, okay. But anyways, my whole point was that you talked about a book that actually explores those boffins. Mm-hmm. And so, and you know, and there was no other place for them to potentially, everyone's probably wondering what the devil is a boffin. And so there you get to figure it out. So I, I like that they have this ability for you to seek out more aspects of the universe. My answer would just be ditto. In addition to, I, I like that you can get inside the characters' heads. You know, you can you can hear more of what their thoughts are beyond just what their extra adventures are. So, mm-hmm. and, and also the book. You know, one more thing. The books also serve one nice thing, which is. In addition to getting stories they couldn't, that they can't possibly produce, it, there's a budget issue there. They're not going to spend, you know, uh, fifty billion dollars, fifty million dollars to make a new Star Wars movie about Leia's bloodline, but they can yeah. write a book about it, you know, and, yeah. and the whole and the budget can be as big as you want in your head, which is yeah. magic, uh, and, and that can even sometimes work better than a comic book because you can make it as awesome as you want in your head, which is Absolutely. great. Absolutely. 
And I will say that I feel like I respect Leia so much more after reading this trilogy than I did watching the films. And not that I disrespected her, but I just think you saw so much of her character and just what she did with the um, uh, Nogri. Oh, so you're talking about the Heir of the Empire trilogy. Okay, I wasn't sure which Yeah, sorry. Okay. Sorry, that was – yeah, that was vague. I meant that one since we're talking trilogies. about that soon. A lot of trilogies. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, just oh, seeing more screen time with the favorites is also great too. As for the fan thing, I think absolutely you can always be a fan. I think without, I think there are different levels of fandom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the base level, I guess you've got just being a fan of the films, which I think is fine. And then people that really, really love it and want to learn more can step up their fandom and and read or, you know, play the video games, things like that. So I I don't think that anyone should be poo pooed for not reading the novels because, you know, some people might just want to keep their headcan as the films. So I think everyone has a freedom to potentially choose that. Yeah. Your, your fandom is whatever you want it to be. Um, right. You know, I, I run around purporting to be the biggest Firestorm fan because, you know, because I know all this stuff about Firestorm. But if someone watches Legends of Tomorrow and that uh, is their Firestorm and they know every yeah. single thing about that character and every episode he was in and everything he did and that's their <laughs> thing, I'm not going to sit there and belittle them as saying they're not as big a Firestorm fan as me. They absolutely are, you know? Or, or Star Wars. If you if you just love the movies or if you, know, if you just love the comics, you don't even care about the books and everything else then your fandom is your fandom yeah absolutely and i i do get concerned with the sort of this new era i feel like fans are very divisive now you noticed that really i know and we start to tear well i try to actually stay off the internet but people tear other people down and i just think that now that nerdyism nerdism is in vogue now and it's more accepted i think we just need to be more unified and just allow other people to enjoy what they want to enjoy and not poop on it not put the band on it. In the old days, it'd be like you'd meet a. You'd, <laughs> did you just make a bantha poodoo joke? <laughs> why did Why did you take that long to recognize it? <laughs> I thought you said band aid, and then it really processed what you said. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, in the old days, it used to be like you know, if if you walked through the mall and somebody else had a Star Wars shirt on, same as you, it was like, oh my god. You're a Star Wars fan? That's yep. awesome! And now you can pick them up at Target. You know, it's, um, we used to cling to each other because there were so few of us that were willing to be out there with our fandom. And you're right, now we're eating each other alive and it's just not healthy. It's not healthy yeah. fandom. Everyone should like what they like and don't, pee, you know, don't, don't piss on somebody because they like something different from you. Now, I'm, I have to make one quick comment about Wedge Antilles. You talked about you never spent so much time with Wedge Antilles. I think I have, no. Well, ma'am, have I got some books for you. <laughs> oh, no, please tell me it's not that X Wing business. It is that X Wing business. Oh, no! Oh, isn't there like 20 books in that series? Probably only 10, but oh. <laughs> I can narrow it down for you, okay? okay? First off, we'll just get you reading the Stackpole ones. I'm not saying that Wraith Squadron's bad, but the Rogue Squadrons are the better ones. You are going to fall in love with Corrin Horn. You're going to write me messages. You're going to write love poems to this guy. You're going to fall in love with him so much. Okay. And uh, he gets introduced in those books. He's part of Rogue Squadron with Wedge. And they are amazing! So we'll, I'll send you a list of books you should read. I'll take care of that for you. I was about to ask uh, later on what, what are books that people have to read. Oh. That's towards the the new person thing. That's right. So. That's good. Okay. Well, yeah. before we do that, you have to – you brought up a very interesting question. I, yeah, I did. That yep. I want to hear you expound upon. Yeah. So my final question was about how did these novels differ from fan fiction? And even before we started this show, I said to Shag that I didn't want this to seem offensive, like I'm poo-pooing these novels and saying, oh, they're just glorified fan fiction. But I just wonder what is the difference between the two. And 
they, in a literal sense, these novels are fan fiction because I think what makes them wonderful is that they're written by fans. I, uh, I don't know sort of the history behind the writers in the Mal Legends canon, but when I listened to, I listened to a panel, uh, a couple panels actually from recent authors and just the way they talk about Star Wars, the Star Wars mythos in glowing terms, you can tell that they are fans of it first and foremost and then the writers and the writing for people, which is the, the best type of writer you want. You want someone who loves the same stuff that you write or love. And so, uh, you know, from that sense, I think it is fan fiction. What differ, what it differs, how it differs, how it differs from <laughs> fan fiction, so sorry, is that number one, they have a tight hold. I guess Lucas had a tight hold. Now Disney has a tight hold of continuity. Mm-hmm. So they have, I, it seems like it's, some sort of political system in there where they say this can fly, this can't fly, and everything works really well together. There's not one person going off with their own ideas of, I believe this is how it's supposed to be. Everyone's got to be in line and in order with everyone else. And of course, the big man, who was George Lucas at the time, I don't, I guess his hands are a bit off of it now, he's, was accepting. He, he sold it to Disney. He's out completely. I know. I don't know what he was thinking. Um, uh, $4 billion <laughs> is what he was thinking. Yeah, but. Which he then gave to charity. Uh, Oh, okay. But I was just, you know, at some point, do you really put a price on some things that he started from scratch as like a little fan film and then it went into this? You really want to sell that? But that's just my personal opinion. Um, so anyway, someone is in control of everything and he gives the like nod and acceptance. Whereas with fan fiction, people can sort of do whatever they want. And, you know, I think there are exceptions here, but overall, I would say that these are pretty well written. Whereas fan fiction, you know, could go back and forth. There are some really good fan fictions that I've read, but I, I think overall they're they're pretty steady in their quality. Okay, uh, very interesting answer. And what I took away from that is that you read slash fiction. All right, thank you. <laughs> I've <laughs> never no, I don't read sure. slash fiction. Okay, we're just moving I right past that. Shipper fan fiction. I don't even know how you got there. Quite honestly. <laughs> so you asked another question. How can someone begin reading without being? You don't want to answer the fan fiction question. I don't have an answer. I I don't know. You, well, everything you said is right, yes. I mean, because Star Wars has been around for, what, 30 years now? 40 years? Uh, 77? So however many years that is? I use my fingers. 80, 90, 40 years? Is that right? You're a teacher. Yes. You can help me out here. Okay. I Thank said you. yes. Okay. So Star Wars has been around 40 years, and it's out there. Everyone's seen it. There's, there's right. nobody alive that hasn't seen or isn't aware of it in the United States. And so on some level, everyone is something of a Star Wars fan. So it's almost impossible not to be. And as you said, George wrote it all. So anything that's being written by anyone else has to come from fandom. So it, by, by that definition, yeah, it is all kind of fan fiction. But yeah, everything else you said about the control and the, the quality controls and things like that, yeah, it makes perfect sense. So interesting theory, though. I like that. It's an interesting idea. So you asked, how can someone begin reading without being overwhelmed? So that's a tough one because, you know, as I said, I've read 60-something Star Wars books. A lot of them are crap. A lot of them are good. So my advice to anybody nowadays would be pick your favorite era. Like Mm -hmm. if if you love the prequels, you sad, sad little person, find some of the books that were published. My gosh. Actually, you know what? Go do the Googles and troll some of these best of lists. There's a lot of best of lists of like best books you have to read and find some from that era that you love. If you love the prequels, there are some out there. Andy talked about one in the last episode where – 
uh, sort of a noir book with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, or, or if you love The Return of the Jedi era and you want to start with Heir to the Empire because it's five years after that, whatever it is, find your era and read some of these books and don't feel like you got to read them all because you won't be happy that way. Don't go into this with like the comic book collector mentality where you want to read every appearance of a character. Don't do that with Star Wars. Not a good plan. Just find what era you want and enjoy it. I, that's, that's my thought. What about you? I, I don't, you know, I don't know why I'm getting attacks for enjoy. You know, I as research material, I yes, I rewatched the prequel trilogy over the weekend, and I get flack for it, but whatever. I think actually the <laughs> the last time I was watching it, I probably did like a best of list, and a lot of them are the movie adaptations. While the prequel trilogy is not the best, I think people actually do enjoy the novelizations because it seems to make it more of a solid story and get into character motivations and things like that. I mentioned Darth Plagueis. I think there are just a couple Sith books that people think highly of. I don't know why I'm recommending things because I've never read them. I'm sorry. Uh, how do you start? I think you do. You Like me, I just sought out something that I wanted to know more about, and there was something there, and so I read it. I really like Captain Phasma. And I saw that she had a book coming out in, I guess, leading up to The Last Jedi. And so I thought, I'm going to get it. So there are just, you know, certain things like that. And I think also going to someone that you trust, which, you know, I'm about to listen to Shag, but going to someone that you trust <laughs> saying, what would you recommend is, is another way to do it. But I also think maybe taking breaks in between. I mean, that might be just me, but I read like three in a row and then I thought I need to take a break right now and then read something else and then came back to Star Wars. Because I think it's super fun and exciting to read these Star Wars novels, but you also don't want that feeling to be tamed or, you know, lessened. So I think taking a break and everything would yeah, be good. Yeah, you read some Star Wars books, then some Doctor Who books, yeah. then some Star Trek books, then some v, v books, and oh. then uh, back to Doctor Who books is kind of the way that should. Well, talk about fan fiction. This oh! doctor, I mean, people like coming up with this weird doctor couldn't even come up with a better name. So, which of these books from the new canon would you recommend yeah. to people try? Oh, of the ones that I've read. Yeah, the new canon. Yeah. I would rec. – I've only read 11 of them. So, actually, <laughs> 12. I've only read 12. Wait, no, that's not true. I've read nine new canon and then three. Okay. The whole, the whole point of this question was to not make people feel overwhelmed, and you're busting out with 12 books. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just giving them perspective that it's not like – I've read all of them. That might be pretty close, but not yeah, all of them. Yeah, with the new canon, I it's actually, pretty, probably pretty close. I would recommend, if you like Captain Phasma, I would read the Phasma book because it gives so much, because that character, how awesome she may be, has practically no screen time. Correct. Um, and so I think you get a lot of character motivation and how ruthless she is, also how she got her armor. So I really recommend that. I think that was uh, great. And I really liked New Dawn because I'm a huge Kanan and Hera shipper, so that was that was great for me. And <laughs> I do still recommend Aftermath, but I can see I know that people they're sort of hot and cold on that one, and so it's hard to tell people that oh it gets better in the second one when the first one they're they're struggling with that one. But I I think if I were to put my cards down, I would say Phasma would be a good one to to do. So are you excluding Thrawn since we're about to talk about it, or is those I was uh yes, but I that would actually be. I, I would absolutely put that on top there. If I were to put my cards down, that now that I can actually say it, I would put I would put it on Thrawn and uh, Phasma. Okay, interesting. All right. Can I tell you a real quick story? No. 
All right, folks, we're going to podcast promo break. And no, I'm just kidding. Of course, go ahead. Well, it's actually it, uh, there. I went over to a colleague's house uh, with another friend, and he was just showing us around, I guess. And I guess one of his sons had all these Star Wars novels, and it's a huge bookcase. It's like seven feet tall, maybe maybe four across, filled with Star Wars novels. Oh and gosh. at the time, this was several years ago, he asked if I wanted them, and I said no because I wasn't reading them at the time. But now I kind of want to go back and see what he has. Aww. But don't you feel a little awkward being on the same reading level as like a 15-year-old kid? Isn't that true of you, too? Oh, it, no, absolutely. It happened to me. I took my stepson to a, um, a Boy Scout meeting, I think it was, or some some meeting. I don't remember what, what it was. So anyway, he was about 14, and some other kid his age was there and had a Star Wars book. So I ended up having a conversation with a 14-year-old about the Star Wars book because I'd read it. And I'm like, wow, I've just met my mental intellectual equal. Okay, there we go. That's actually a good – may I ask a follow-up question to this? Sure. Don't you think that they didn't really have a YA imprint with the the now the legends mm-hmm. and that they were don't you think they're catered towards more like an older audience i mean i'm just thinking of the original thrawn trilogy that i read no it's definitely uh ya in fact wow. i was reading one review because i read a lot of reviews after i re- after i read the books and one person actually took i guess there's some websites you can drop the text of a book in and it'll tell you what reading level is at and things like that wow. and supposedly um air to the empire is at a fourth grade level i find that i don't hard, know i find that hard to believe i also find it hard because i believe. see the books my daughter's reading she's in sixth grade and i'm like uh, and she's a pretty advanced reader i'm like i, I don't know yeah but um they say Said the heir of the empire was fourth grade and Thrawn was four point five. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I somewhat disagree, especially because they have actual YA imprints now. Yeah. Like Leia, Princess of Alderaan, and Ahsoka were both YA, and you could really tell that difference. And then go to like Thrawn, and that was a higher. I don't know. I but, disagree but if, with that. But if you compare something like Heir to the Empire to the Deathly Hollows, both YA technically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd say Deathly Hollows is a denser read than Heir to the Empire, probably. Mm, okay. So either way, okay. Well, we've talked a lot on the front end, folks. But <laughs> what you really came here to hear, hear us talk about. <laughs> It was to compare and contrast Thrawn and Heir to the Empire. And that's what we're going to do when we come back from this podcast promo break. Generation Star Wars is speaking up and sharing its story. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm David Michelini. I'm Tom Panneries. I'm Steve Glosson. I'm Matt Hunsworth. I'm Scott Gardner. I'm Ryan Shaw. I'm Paul Herman. I'm Jimmy Mack. I'm Ryder Waldron. I'm Justin Bulger. I'm Joseph Tavano. I'm John Jackson Miller. I'm Concetta Parker. I'm Steve Sansweet. And this. And this. And this. Is my Star Wars story. Is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story monthly at mystarwarsstory.com and available in the iTunes store. Oh, adolescents this generation have no respect and are a far cry from my sweet Jane Eyre and her friend Helen Burns. Why, just this afternoon I was Stella. And and you know what, men too. Well, uh, 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 Stella. Serious men like the tragic Mr. Rochester and teachers, pa. They're all like the villainous Mr. Brocklehurst. Hey, Stella! Uh, yes, Thomas. As much as I enjoy um indulging your insanity, uh, we have a promo to record. Oh dear, and what might that be? That is you and I telling everyone that we have a brand new podcast out there. It's called Required Reading with Tom and Stella, 
Once a month, we will take a look at a single work of literature, discuss it, analyze it, and determine if it's worth its place in the canon. Oh dear, that sounds delightful. Oh, I'm sure it will be. And you can find us on the Two True Freaks Network, which is at twotruefreaks.com. Oh yes, required reading with Tom and... Why is it Tom and Stella? Why can't it be Stella and Tom? It rolls off the tongue better? Okay. Well, that was easy. So, required reading with Tom and Stella at twotruefreaks.com. Thanks for contributing to the promo there. You did a great job. Oh, you are so welcome. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Lando Calrissian. Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. We would be honored if you would join us. And we're back, folks. And yes, we are going to contrast Heir to the Empire with Thrawn, both by Timothy Zahn. And this is kind of an interesting you know, situation. Again, Stella's coming at it from a new reader who's following the, can- the new canon. I'm coming at it as the old curmudgeon who read the original stuff. And you've got a character who's been rebooted. So sort of mm-hmm. like what happened with Crisis and Pre-Crisis, or, or, all that stuff. But it's by the same writer. That's the interesting thing, is the, is the common thread is Timothy Zahn in both cases. So this will be fun. So first thing we're going to do is Heir to the Empire. I'm going to give a recap of that, uh, and then Stella and I are going to discuss, and then we're going to do Zon, or Thrawn, I mean, and do the recap of that, and then we'll have some stuff on the back end. Okay, here we go, folks. Heir to the Empire, published in 1991, written by Timothy Zahn. Five years after Return of the Jedi, as the New Republic holds a fragile control of the galaxy, a new threat emerges. An Imperial Grand Admiral named Thrawn has resurfaced, consolidating the weakened Imperial forces and beginning to turn the tide in the battle with the fledgling New Republic. In Coruscant, Luke is saddened as a ghostly Obi-Wan Kenobi bids him farewell for the last time. Han Solo and Chewbacca attempt to recruit smugglers to solve the New Republic's shortage of cargo ships, while Princess Leia is three months pregnant with twins. And Admiral Akbar finds himself under constant political pressure from the Bothan. <gasps> or it's a Bothan. Can you believe it? I know. <laughs> We're introduced to a smuggler named Talon Card and his subordinate Mara Jade as they help Ron obtain several creatures called Galsamari. I mispronounced that, I'm sure. These are unique creatures that push back the Force. Afterward, Thrawn travels to the Emperor's hidden weapon storehouse, where Thrawn encounters Joris Kaboth, a mad and corrupted clone of a former Jedi Master. 
Thrun persuades Kaboth to join him in exchange for two prospective Jedi students, Luke and Leia. Now, our heroes are nearly captured twice by a commando squad of aliens called Nugurai. And in an effort to uh, lay low, our heroes decide to visit Lando Calrissian on the mining planet of Naklan. Well, bad timing, as that coincides with an Imperial raid on Naklan, stealing 51 of Lando's mole miner machines. Our heroes split up. Princess Leia and Chewbacca go to hide on Kashyyyk, home of the Wookiees, while Han and Lando track down other leads with C-3PO posing as Leo on audio. Thrawn nearly captures Luke in a space ambush. Luke escapes, but becomes stranded in his X-Wing fighter, uh, ultimately being rescued or kidnapped, depending how you look at it, by Talon Card. Card takes Luke back to Merker, uh, Mirker, which is his, uh, his, where his base is, it's a planet, uh, takes uh, Luke to Merker as a prisoner, though he's undecided whether to sell Luke to the Empire or back to the New Republic. Meanwhile, Han and Lando meet another smuggler uh, whose information leads them to Card's base on Merker as well. To complicate matters further, Thrawn also returns to Merker. Card plays a delicate game trying to keep all the parties separated, but eventually Luke and Mara Jade end up trying to survive in the savage forest while Han and Lando keep Card against the Imperials. Mara reveals that she used to be an undercover agent of the Emperor who lost everything when Luke killed him in Endor, and Mara wants to kill Luke in revenge, even though she needs to keep him alive to help evade the Imperials. This would be your cue to make fun of Mara and say... Uh, must kill Luke Skywalker. Must kill Luke Skywalker. Okay. Anyway, thanks for that. Um, the result of all this is a firefight between the Imperial troops and Card's men. In the end, Card wins, but has to evacuate his base. Han and Lando head to the shipyards at Sluis Van, where they discover, thanks to Card, that Thrawn has plans there. On Kashyyyk, Leia is attacked by another Nugurai kidnapping team, but our heroes kill all but one of the commandos. The remaining commando explains that he recognized her by her scent as the daughter of Darth Vader, whom the Nugurai revere as the savior of their world. So just as Han and Lando reach the shipyards of Sluis Van, Thrawn launches his assault. With a cloaking device, Thrawn has the element of surprise as these mole miners he stole from Lando attempt to bore into the hulls of the docked ships and steal them. Rogue Squadron fights the Imperials while Han and Lando hatch a brilliant plan to stop the theft of the ships. Thrawn is defeated in his first major offensive. After the battle, Leia calls from Coruscant to tell them that Admiral Akbar has been arrested on charges of treason. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> At that point, we already knew it was a trilogy, so you know that there no problem with the cliffhangers. Right. All right, Stella, what did you think of Heir to the Empire? I know you read Thrawn first, but what did you I think did. of Heir to the Empire? Yeah, so the, what's interesting is sort of you have to read it at a different or with a different mind because with Thrawn, starting at the beginning of his, I guess, his rise in the Empire. But here, with the original trilogy, very much in Medius race, he's already established as a Grand Admiral and, of course, the, the Empire is at its all-time low. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting to see how he's trying to sort of pick up the Empire from its ashes, which uh, I enjoyed, just that he was already an established character, so you're learning about him on the go rather than from the very beginning. I also very much loved sort of seeing the Trinity together, as I guess I'll call them, Luke, Leia, and Han, because, of course, you know, that's one of my favorite parts of the original trilogy, and you always wonder, I mean, what a, what a blessing we have in these books, because you always wonder after a film you know i wonder what happened to those characters and here we get to to find out so i loved this because of how close-knit they are and you get to see them more together and just the love and this little family that they've created so that's also one of my favorite parts from it and that was only a little bit racist or speciesist when you you know left out chewbacca and r2 and 3po from that you know about the little group so that's fine well i call them the trinity do you think they're part of that group uh well they're the star warriors really you know that's a, that's what marvel comics used to call 
problem. You know, Han, Leia, <laughs> Luke, Chewie, three yeah. PO, and R two, and then after a while, Lando joins the group. So. I'm sorry if I offended anyone. Uh, the Wookiees that are listening to this podcast have just sure turned it off. Thank you so much. They probably destroyed their little device with their nails. That's true. They have claws. You know they have yeah. claws, by the way, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course they have claws. So for me, this was like the 1990s version of Episode 7. This is what Ooh. we wanted to happen, right? Sure. So for you who came into this backwards, you know, having seen Episode 7 right. and then read this, how do you feel about this version of event, of events versus where we got to with Force Awakens? I like it slightly better, if only because they haven't broken up this family that mm. I was just talking about. Because with Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, you're seeing, well, especially with Force Awakens, you see, you know, this group, Luke, Lan Han, I'm sorry that I'm leaving, and Chewie, I suppose you can add them in there. This tight-knit group is suddenly at, you know, odds and at different places of the universe doing their own thing, and you come to realize why that is, and, you know, it's understandable, but it's sad nonetheless. So I would have liked for this bond that they have at the end of Return of the Jedi to continue, and that's what I imagine would have happened. So, of course, seeing the Force Awakens for the first time was a little shocking, but that's okay. So I've got a list of, of pros and cons about Heir to the Empire. But uh, oh boy! But my first question to you is though is <laughs> first. This well, okay, is like my, my only question. question because I really don't care what you think. But it's just okay. a, I'm just a prompt so that I can talk later. But the Yao Silamiri. Oh boy! Is that a good idea or a bad idea to introduce them into the book from a from a literary perspective? Oh, from a literary perspective. Now I will like a little fun little story between Shag and I. Probably Shag doesn't remember this, but I think I was tracking Shag's progress through Thrawn, and I asked him about, I, I think the quote was Thrawn's little buddy, yes. and uh, because I I couldn't remember Eli's name. But then later on in the conversation, I said something about the Yasalamiri, mm-hmm. and Shag basically retorted, you can spell that, but you don't know Thrawn's like, right-hand man. I thought, yeah. The whole true. the whole viewpoint of the Thrawn book was Eli, and yet you uh, figure out how to spell uh, this I little creature. I disagree with that. I disagree with that. Eli was totally the voice of the, the view of the audience in that book. Oh, of the audience, sure, yeah. but Thrawn's writing his journal and such. Sure, sure. All right, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. What was your question, anyway? Oh, <laughs> is, is it a good, I know what it is. All right, well, here's why I ask, because, you know, some people would say it's a great way to make the Jedi not all-powerful. You know, it gives them something, a challenge, a foil. Then other reviews I've read online call them Jedi kryptonite, saying, you know, they're they're just a cheat because the Force is supposed to be this all-powerful thing in everything. And here you have animals that don't, you know, that can neutralize the Force. So are they a good idea or a bad idea? I think, I think it's a good idea because it's interesting. I, I think even the Force might have limitations. I know that it surrounds everything and goes through everything, but it makes sense that there's probably something that sort of nullifies it. I, I think it makes sense from a scientific standpoint. I, You know, I think back to Justice League, the animated series, and I remember in the first two series of it, mm-hmm. Superman was always, people were complaining that he was too weak, you know, because everything would sort of shock him and bring him down, and then he was strengthened. Yep. And I think uh, it's, it's fun to have characters that are not completely all-powerful, because if they're all-powerful, you don't have any sort of chance in the game, because you just believe, well, 
it, it, he's going to be fine. Nothing bad can happen to him. And once we, uh, or the Yael Solomari, <laughs> I don't even know. We'll call them the Salami. Once the Salami oh, entered the game, you thought to yourself, yikes, how is this going to work? And it, and it works out not only because Luke has to find new ways to go about things. And he also has to rely on this person that hates him. Let's kill Luke Skywalker. But also, it's a good protection against that crazy Jedi Master. So I actually really like it. And I thought it was pretty cool. Plus, I mean, who doesn't want a cute little thing wrapped around your neck? I mean, isn't that the cutest little image you've got of Thrawn with this yellow-looking salami around his neck? It is adorable. Although what you don't think about is he's probably got his claws embedded into his shoulder. <laughs> but <laughs> probably true. Yeah. I, I love the idea of him. Now, I'm completely biased. I mean, I, there's no... There's no hiding it here. Heir to the Empire, I think, is amazing. The whole Thrawn trilogy, I think, is fantastic. So I, I, I can't be non-biased about this. But I think they're a great idea because they're not the thing that solves the whole book. They're, sure. they're just a tool to give Luke a challenge. They're a tool to control Joris Kaboth. You know, they're a tool to irritate uh, Mar Jade. At no point is the is the, any of the cliffhangers dependent upon the Yalsam Miris. It's, mm-hmm. uh, so I think they're just an interesting tool in the book. I think they work well. Yeah. Regarding Thrawn specifically, uh, at least in this book, I think that he was introduced here. It was just fascinating the way he was introduced. Because as you said, you, you came to it as, oh, this is a different point in his life and da-da-da. Whereas for us, this is the first time we ever saw him. Right. So there was so much mystery surrounding him. And one of the things about this book, too, is you all these books, you never get inside his head. In any of the three books, we never see things from Thrawn's perspective. We hear him talking. We hear his dialogue with people. And so we begin to understand what he's thinking. But we never get inside his head. So we never can truly understand him. Uh, and he's presented so differently than any of the Star Wars villains we'd had before. He's different from the Emperor. He's different from Jabba. He's different from Darth Vader. He's different from Grand Moff Tarkin. He's just so alien, I guess, is the way to do it. And, and he's almost... Uh, of all the villains we've seen so far, he's almost like the best Imperial officer because he's like a real officer. He treats his subordinates with respect. He's willing to take their suggestions. Uh, his discipline is sometimes reasonable. You know, he genuinely inspires loyalty in his troops where everyone previously we'd seen in Star Wars inspired fear. And I thought that just made him such an interesting character, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of other things besides Thrawn in this book, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about everything, because there's a lot to talk about with this book. There's, but there's, I'm not going to get too there deep is. into it. There, there is some development stuff that's kind of interesting about when the way this book was developed. You know, again, it was written in 1991. Timothy Zahn came up with a plan for what the, the, the plot of the book would be, and Lucasfilm actually shot down some of his ideas. Mm. Um, one of his ideas was Joris Kaboth was originally planned to be a clone of, a mad clone of Obi-Wan Kenobi. So that would have really changed the whole flavor of Luke going to this Jedi to get trained and things like that. That would have been fascinating. He probably would have done it more willingly, don't you think? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And once you know that and you reread the first book, you can almost see it. Because Luke going to Joris Kaboth, which happens, I guess, in the the subsequent books, it just – anyway, just it seems like, yeah, uh, Obi-Wan would have made a lot of sense the way the first book's written. The Nagurai were originally planned to be called the Sith, as Mm. in Darth Vader, Lord of the Sith. So because at that point, they hadn't done all those comic books with what the Sith were. We didn't know what the Sith were at this point in 1991. Can you you believe there's a time where we didn't know what the Sith were? And so he was going to call these aliens the Sith. And if you look at them, the way they're written, their facial structure is actually reminiscent of Vader's helmet. 
So it was going to be that Vader's helmet was designed to emulate them as he was oh, like their lord. Sure. Then, and, and there's other stuff in here too, like roughly simultaneous to the time that uh, Heir to the Empire came out, Dark Horse Comics was publishing the Dark Empire comic books by Tom Beach, in which Emperor Palpatine was cloned. The fact that you know, in the same in the same times going on, they, they used cloning stuff. It kind of took the punch out of Timothy Zahn's big clone reveal mm. in Dark Horse Rising. You know. Sure. Yeah. And it's been talked about before publicly that Zahn and Beach were comparing notes with each other and they didn't really agree on a lot of stuff from what we understand and they 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 made notes to each other and things like that so from there there's a rumor only a rumor but there's a rumor that came out that zahn actually killed off thrawn in his third book he made that decision later after dealing with the dark empire stuff because he was afraid of what other writers might do with this character i don't know if that's true or not uh but that's what i had heard at the time so who knows it's i also heard mikey died from eating uh, pop rocks and drinking coke so who knows well, I do have to say it's dangerous to uh, eat pop rocks and Coke and drink Coke, but in the Thrawn in the Thrawn way, I think that's both. It's I think it's understandable. I mean, you create this character and you don't want anyone else to touch them. But it's interesting because when I was listening to this panel of writers, all of them were saying that you know you have your child and you have it for that amount of time, but then you have to give your child to somebody else. So they're sort of all resigned to that. But I will say that the way that Zahn kills Thrawn off. I didn't see coming, and I thought it was masterfully done. Excellent. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I, I loved it, too. So now, at the time, though, a lot of us were mad, though, because we wanted oh. more Thrawn adventures. Oh, I see. But, you know, they still managed to, to, to milk several books out of Thrawn, even after his death, so it was fine. Just in between or before? No, they were afterwards, like the legacy of Thrawn, things he left behind and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. okay. Spe- uh, Spectre of the Past, Vision of the Future, and uh, then there were some that took place in the past, Outbound Flight, stuff like that. Also, during the development of the Heir of the Empire book, Timothy Zahn was mailed a box by Lucasfilm of West End Games. Games material because I'm a big fan of West End Games, the role-playing game, the the Star Wars role-playing game, and they mailed him a box of stuff and basically said, "In here is a whole bunch of stuff we like. See if you can use some of these ships and some of this stuff and work it into your book." And at first he was like, "Really?" Ugh. And then he started reading. And he's like, "This stuff's great!" And he was really impressed with what they had done, and it made his job so much easier because he didn't have to develop, spend all this time coming up with the technical stuff of spaceships. It was all there for him. So a lot of the spaceships that appear in this book come from West End Games. So it was sort of you know legitimizing or at that time making those less West End game stuff sort of canon, which is just really cool. Do you know Timothy Zahn personally? You seem to know a lot of personal stories about no, him. I've, well, I mean, I've seen him do panels and stuff, but I've read a lot of interviews. Oh, okay. And I, keep on, I was living it at the time, too. So okay. I was totally into this at the time. So it, I, I've just a lot of exposure. Uh, Coruscant, the first time I'd ever received his name was in this book. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now, of course, it had been referred to as Imperial City and stuff like that, but this was the first time I'd ever received the name Coruscant. And the really, first time they really explored it in any real depth, which made it interesting. And then, uh, really, and, and this may come as a hard thing to blow. I mean, you know about the dark times, right? From like 1986 to 1991, where there really wasn't any Star Wars stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, Star Wars was a dead property. So the Zahn trilogy really is credited with revitalizing the Star Wars franchise, and I don't think that's hyperbole. I mean, it was a New York Times bestseller. Whereas, you know, whenever the when it, when you get movie TV tie-ins, they're usually done in, in a kind of way. Like Star Trek's the perfect example. The book starts, something amazing happens, and then by the end, all the pieces are put back in the exact same place where they start. You know. They're just sort of a fun story that fits in between other stories. That's how sure. most movie TV tie-ins work. This pushed the story forward. This told you, here's the next new chapter, and things changed. And that mm-hmm. was very different for a movie TV tie-in. And so when they did, they decided we, they released them as hardcovers, which wasn't something people did back then for movie TV tie-ins. Again, number one on the New York Times bestseller list really was it was kind of revolutionary for movie TV tie-ins. And uh, it was really, really uh, made a big difference, and that's really what launched. I mean, they, they expected it to do well, but they didn't expect it to do as well as 
Wars did. And that mm. really launched the next 20 years of Star Wars books. And uh, one, one last thing. Zahn, um, I, I love this bit, where he, he – I don't know if you felt like it, but when I re- whenever I read Star Wars characters, I really feel like he's captured their voices. You know, Han, Luke, Leia. You can hear their voices when you read it. Absolutely. Dialogue. Yep. And the reason why is when he was younger, uh, he, had re- he had recorded all the movies on audio cassette, the three mm-hmm. movies, and he would play them in the car for his kids on long trips. Because, you know, back then they didn't have DVD players in the car. So that's how they watched the Star Wars movies on the road. So he would hear the dialogue a lot. And when you just listen to something on audio, you really – you get a different sense for it. And so he, he credits that with kind of like what helped him get the character's voices right. I feel like I've heard that story before. I did. I told him the last episode. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you before we move on. Who do you think the heir to the Empire is? Thrawn. Do you think so? Yeah. Hmm, okay. Who do you think it is? Well, I think it could be one of three people, because doesn't Jarrus there, with the crazy man, doesn't he say that he is the heir? And then couldn't you also say it was Leia, because, you know, the... Mm, Interesting, okay. As you say. So I just wondered. Sometimes I try to figure out what these titles mean. Well, the the Jorus thing could absolutely be part of it, too. I mean, he's featured prominently on the cover of the first edition at that point, uh, but he becomes such a, not a sidelined character, but a character from a different part of the plot that I, I have a hard time thinking of him as the heir. Maybe I'm just too absorbed into Thrawn. I could be. That's interesting. I don't think it's the Leia piece, but I see what you're saying with her being with the Nagurai. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. A couple more interesting things. One of the things I like <laughs> about these books is that each one of the three books in the trilogy opens on the Imperials, which, mm-hmm. folks, that's how you do it. Because if you go back and watch A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, each one of those movies starts with the Imperials. That's how you do it, folks. So the fact that he did that just, again, just added that much more. Did I talk about Mara Jade? Because I really need to talk more. There we go. So I didn't talk about Mara Jade yet? I mean, okay. No, you haven't. So whereas the um, – I don't want to compare and contrast yet. I'm sorry. But you get Mara Jade. You get Talon Card. I mean, Thrawn, first of all, Thrawn. You get Thrawn. You get Mara Jade. You get Talon Card. You get Captain Pelion. They created so much good stuff that stayed with these books for 25 years, you know, or whatever, 20, 25, whatever it was. I mean, Mara freaking Jade. So, all right, get it out of your system. What don't you like about her? <laughs> uh- <laughs> She's pretty cool. The only thing that annoyed me about her is the running little line through the her head slash narration in my book of, you know, must kill Luke Skywalker. Right. Which we, 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 you know, you understand why it is at the end. And luckily she's sort of the brainwashing is cleared. But uh, I didn't understand because I wrote, I think, on Facebook that I was reading this book and people were talking about this Luke and Mara ship. And I thought, you people are crazy. <laughs> Mara hates him right. with a bitterness, a bitterness unknown. And I guess they have a child. Who knows? But you can see, I, I think that that relationship build. I do actually really I have a crush on Talon Card. I think he's a okay. pretty character. He's a smart guy. He's a smuggler, mm-hmm. which you know I think everyone goes for the smuggler from time to time. They have that period in their life. So maybe this is my smuggler period. <laughs> well, I have a crush on Mara Jade, so uh-huh. um, I, mean, I remember you yelled at me for making fun of her. Well, she first of all, uh, she's an incredible character. She's so mm-hmm. cool. She's interesting. She's got a great redemption arc. Then if I just get purely sexist and say she's a smoking hot redhead, I mean, come on, you know my weakness to redheads. I do. Uh, and I spent 20 years reading her stories. Now, in the books, it took a ridiculously long time for her and Luke to get together. It was like 20 years. For how many books? Well, it's it has to do with the way the books are structured. But uh, okay. they should have just done it earlier. But yes, Luke and Luke and Mara eventually get together. They have a child. Guess what the child's name is? Obi Wan. Ben. Ben. Yeah. yeah. So that's Makes another sense. thing that got a lot of people torqued up. They're like, they gave the cool name Ben to the to the bad kid. You know, yeah. whatever. Force Awakens. And then uh, some unfortunate things happen to Mara later on down the line. Which is, uh, 
but he's uh, a very capable female. Like what's great about these Star Wars characters is that there's not I don't I haven't encountered a weak female character yet. Hmm. So they're very empowering, I think, to the female characters. Yeah, that's a fair point. In a lot of ways, she's she's almost like the proto Ray, just because mm-hmm. you know she's she she has a hard life. She comes yeah. around to the Force. She ends up with Luke's original lightsaber. I mean, in both you know Ray both Ray does and and, and Mara sure. does. There's a lot of parallels there. So yeah, I really I, felt bad for her when Talon thought that she had betrayed him mm-hmm. because in that narration you can just tell how like sad she feels that she thinks that he thinks that she betrayed him, mm-hmm. but. Luckily, she was able to redeem herself there. Yeah. Now, now we're speaking ahead beyond Heir to the Empire. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. We both are. We both are. But you kind of have to with this. this Yeah. Uh, And anyway, all the other original characters are great. I love that. Like the cool ideas, like in the Klon, the Orlando's mining facility, there's 40 AT-ATs walking across the surface of the planet, mining it, always staying on the dark side of the planet. That's so freaking cool. You know? I've only got two nitpicks with this book. That's it. Boy, too. Wow. That's it. Okay. One is, and I, and it's funny, I wrote this down in my notes, and then everyone else online, when I mentioned we were doing this, jumped on it. I'm like, how did you guys know this is in my notes? Apparently, it's a thing for everybody. Hot chocolate. What? Luke's drinking hot chocolate in the book. And I'm like, that's such an earth thing. Why, why would you, what? Huh? So I'm, I'm, that drives me nuts. That, it's only in like one paragraph, but it really bothers me. Did, did that bother you as well, or you didn't care? Um, you know what I've been noticing actually is that when I'm reading some things, like in aftermath, there's a mention of pretzels. Really? And then sometimes I go through just to look at different ship names, and I scroll through, and I think that's more of a sort of American mythology name. So that actually, I'm glad to hear that from somebody else because when I feel like there's more of a connection with like Earth culture, mm-hmm. it does take me a little bit out of it, and I wondered what the place was. For for that. And so you're saying potentially that there is no place for that. It should be very otherworldly. Uh, always. Always. Okay. Yep. I mean, it's a long time ago and a galaxy far, far away. There, yeah. there's, there should be no connection to Earth. Okay. And then there was one point I feel like Thrawn's, you know, amazing deductive reasoning went mm-hmm. too far. Uh-oh. Yep. There's a scene in the book where... This, complicated, folks, but Lando's <laughs> ship and Han's ship both go out uh, of, of Lando's base. The ships connect in space, and some people uh, flip-flop back in between the ships. Basically, they're trying to get Leia out of there and, and make yeah. it make Leia somewhere else. Yep, yep. Thrawn figures it out. The, basically, the ships are docked for like 4.3 minutes. That's enough for three people to cross back and forth, and I estimate it's this, da, 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 da. and he figures the whole thing out, and it's ridiculous. It, it's I don't buy it. It was too far, and it's like that's that's taking his deductive reasoning to a, a unbelievable level, and um, that, that bothered me. That's what I, I could got. see that. Yeah, that something similar happened when I guess it was Wedge, wasn't it? C- was coming up with that plan. Like they were going to, they figured Thrawn would go to this one planet, so they were going to go to the other planet. And then, I think it was in the third one, wasn't okay. it? I, well, I, then, I haven't reread that one in a little while. Okay. And then Thrawn's like, they probably think I'm going to go to this other planet, but I'm going to go to this planet. And oh, yeah, okay. it was. You just didn't know. I just figured he was always going to have the drop on them. It was really scary. He's a scary guy. He is a scary guy, but <laughs> but you might say he's a little too informed. So yes. All right. Well, why don't we do the recap of Thrawn? Let's do it. It was by some random man named Timothy Zahn. <laughs> uh, and this was written in 2017. And it was actually developed with Star Wars Rebels Season 3, which once you watch that, Star Wars Rebels has sadly ended now. But you could potentially wa- read this before watching 
that season. That's what I'm doing. Yes, that's what I I was going to wait, but then someone said, no, 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 you read that first. So there you go. So here is the recap. First of all, I'm starting off with a lovely quote from Grand Admiral Fon. He says, I study the art of war, work to perfect it. A chiss, <laughs> Thrawn was exiled in wild space by his people for opposing their policy against preemptive attacks. When Imperial scouting forces arrive on the uncharted planet, he outsmarts them, attacking and killing Imperial personnel in order to test the metal of the Empire. After slipping aboard the ship, Thrawn claims that he came to seek the Empire's help to protect his people from various unmentioned dangers in the unknown regions. Imperial cadet Eli Vanto, his little buddy, <laughs> is assigned to be Thrawn's translator. Since Eli Vanto himself is only three months away from graduating from Myomar Academy in the expansion region, the Emperor orders that he be reassigned to the Royal Imperial Academy on Coruscant with Thrawn, and both actually endure harassment and basically xenophobia from the Imperial cadets. Three months later... Thrawn and Eli actually graduate second and third place from the Royal Imperial Academy, respectively. Lieutenant Thrawn finds himself posted as the second weapons officer aboard the Gazanti-class cruiser Blood Crow, while Ensign Eli assigned as his aide. Over the next 18 months, Lieutenant Thrawn and Ensign Eli serve under Captain Rick Virgilio. The, the Blood Crew is deployed on operations to trap smugglers and aid distressed vessels and defusing potentially damaging situations in the mid-rim and Outer Rim territories. Thrawn triumphs time and time again, even as his renegade methods infuriate superiors while inspiring ever greater admiration from the Empire. As one promotion follows another, he becomes the captain and then commander uh, and then commodore of the – what was it? Oh, no. This is terrible Chimera. writing. Well, the Chimera was second, but first it was the Thunder Wasp. Whew. That's right. Yes, the Thunder Wasp. And then, yes, he's the captain of the Chimera, and then, of course, Admiral, and then Grand Admiral by Palpatine in his rapid ascension to greater power. He schools his trusted aide, Ensign Ilovanto, who's unfortunately not rising as quickly through the ranks to his frustration in the arts of combat and leadership and, of course, the secrets of claiming victory. One of the smugglers that he continually goes up against is Neville Signy, also known by his alias Night Swan, who acts as a consultant to Angel's pirate group Kulos, which he used to raise funds for avenging people who had been wronged by the Empire. After Thrawn disrupted Kulos's operations, Signy used the Higher Skies Advocacy Group as a front to gather intelligence on Imperial officials and senators on Coruscant with the goal of uncovering the Galactic Empire's secret Death Star project. This operation was disrupted by Arahidna Price, the future governor of Lothal, with the help of Thrawn and the Imperial Security Bureau. Signy later became the leader of the Bataan Insurgents and engineered the Battle of Scrim Island to facilitate his showdown with Thrawn. Despite Night Swan's cunning <laughs> tactics, Thrawn, of course, recaptured Scrim Island for the Empire. But even though Thrawn dominates the battlefield, he has much to learn in the arena of politics, where ruthless administrator Erehidna Price holds the power to be a potent ally or a brutal enemy. We see her rise from an aide to her family's Dunium mine on Othal, to a civilian assistant officer, to the governor while battling betrayal and finding secrets hidden by Imperial officials, and then later finding an unlikely ally in Thrawn. Thrawn's story ends as he questions the Emperor about the Death Star project and is finally able to meet Palpatine's chief enforcer, Darth Vader, whom Thrawn does not realize 
is Anakin Skywalker, someone he actually knew in the Clone Wars. Thrawn withholds the location of the Chiss worlds and bases as he helps the Emperor map the universe, and he later sends his little buddy Eli, along with Thrawn's journal, to rendezvous with Admiral Aralani of the Chiss Defense Fleet. Woof! Yeah, crazy stuff there. (laughs) (laughs) So, a couple of questions for you here. Are Thrawn and Eli friends? Oh my goodness, that's so funny you ask, because I was going to ask that too. Because in 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 one of the recaps I read, it said that Eli was his only friend in the Academy, and I was sort of thinking to myself about that. I think it's hard for Thrawn, I think, to get emotionally attached to anyone. And I don't know if this is true of other chiss that he has, if he has any sort of relationship, but because he's so far away from them, I don't know. It seems like he's very like a closed off person. But my other thing is, or the other side of that argument is that I do think that he may care for Eli because he helps him increase in rank because he knows that that's a, a frustration for Eli. And I think he knows that Eli feels frustrated at always being his aide and he was sort of forced in that position. So I think actually that Thrawn does have kindly feelings towards Eli. And I think in the beginning of their partnership, Eli resented Thrawn a great deal. And I think only until close to the end, I think he starts to first respect him and then I think probably likes him. So I think it's an interesting and very complicated friendship, but I will go with yes. See, I'm not so sure. See, I actually, (gasps) well, I actually thought Uh for the majority of the book that Thrawn was the one keeping Eli back. I thought Thrawn was doing it on purpose so that he could keep Eli under his thumb. And then I thought in the end he was going to sacrifice Eli for some reason. Like he had a, like he had a, some long strategy that from the very beginning of how he was going to sacrifice Eli to further, I don't know, the Emperor's purpose, the, Ch- the Chiss's purpose or his own purposes. Uh, so by the time they finally get around to them sort of being closer to workmates rather than, you know, his, his assistant, it, it's like almost like that ship had sailed for me, you know? Mm. So I don't know. But I, don't you think Thrawn, I mean, what level of trust there has to be for Thrawn to send Eli as his little ambassador? to the Chiss Ascendancy. Okay, so we're going to do that now, huh? I don't <laughs> buy that load of crap. <laughs> oh, what do you mean? That he's going there? Well, first of all... Well, okay. lied to at the end? No, I don't, think, I, I don't think it's a lie. I just think it was a dumb plot point. The, first of all, the, one of the big changes from previous continuity to this continuity is that Thrawn claims... Uh, that his exile was a ruse, sure. you know, and that actually his true mission is to forge an alliance with the Empire to benefit the Chiss ascendancy. And he tried to recruit Night Swan, and then he recruits Eli for the Chiss, not for the Empire, but for the Chiss. Sure. And I, that's a hard pill for me to swallow. Um, right. I get it. I get where they're going with it. That's fine. But I, it's not cool for me. And I don't know what he saw in Eli. There was nothing in Eli that I think that Thrawn could have saw that would spark his interest to keep him around. He was a supply officer. That's it. You know, why did Thrawn decide that he was the person to train, uh, to make the, you know, going to help the Chiss, other than he taught him everything he knew. But beyond that, there was nothing from the beginning to, to, to say that Eli was part of his long-term plan. His allegiance? I guess. Well, he didn't have his allegiance. He didn't even like Thrawn for a long time. Wow. 
<laughs> Another question Whew. for you. Uh, yeah. And folks, the big difference between these books is, you know, Heir to the Empire is basically their version of Episode Seven. It takes place over a short period of time, and it's about all of the Star Warriors. The Star Warriors don't appear in any of this. Uh, no. This is the story of Thrawn over many, many, many years. So it's a very different kind of, a very political kind of story. And it's the beginning of it. So don't you yep. think it still works with the original trilogy continuity? Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple of little tiny minor things, but nothing major that would really conflict it. In fact, interestingly enough, the first chapter and part of the second chapter in Thrawn were actually adapted from a legend story called Mist Encounter, which was first published in 1995 from the Star, in the Star Wars Adventure Journal number seven, which just so happens to be the first adventure journal I ever bought by West End Games. And, uh, the story was written by Timothy Zahn. So it's kind of interesting. He took a legend story and adapted it. He only made minor changes to make it work here, which is pretty cool. All right. So are we supposed to like Thrawn? Okay. I'm glad you asked. He's smart. He's clever. He's definitely the protagonist. But then he allows things like Wookiee slavery. You know, he, he's, you know, we're, how are we supposed to feel about him? Yeah, I think he's a very complicated person. Uh, you say person. That's fine. <laughs> okay. He is humanoid. He's a very complicated chiss. And when I read this, I actually, I guess shortly after, I talked to Tom and I asked Tom, do you see Thrawn as a villain? <laughs> He didn't even bat an eye. He almost made an annoyed sound at me, and he said yes. <laughs> but I'm actually conflicted. When if I I read this first, okay. there is no doubt in my mind that he is a villain in the original trilogy. But because I read this first, I was on the fence because I thought, you know, he doesn't seem thoroughly evil. I think clearly he's on the side we don't prefer people to be on that, you know, the side of the empire. Mm-hmm. But he does try to prevent loss of life when attacking the base and things like that. He actually, you know, doesn't listen. He disregards other people's orders or questions and things like that. Uh, yes, the the Wookiee thing, even though he tries to, he says they're not slaves, but um, what does he call them? Like imperial assets? Yeah. Resources. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, you know, you can't very much get around that. But I like, I almost want to contrast him with uh, Governor Price because Governor Price is – to a certain extent, they're both rising through the ranks, but for different purposes. I see Price rising for her own purposes. She's just power hungry. Mm-hmm. But Thrawn, I feel like he's rising because he wants to – now, you don't like apparently this plot point, but he wants to protect his homeworld. Mm-hmm. So it's always with the intention of working to help the Chiss ascendancy. And – I don't know. I, I just view him in a more positive light. I I like him. I, I think there are still some shady things. He's not good through and through, but I think there are just aspects of his character and certain things that he does that make it seem like he is, you know, better, more good than bad. Yeah, no, there's definitely that feeling. He, as the protagonist, you're inside. That's one of the things, too. You get inside his head in this book, whereas you do not get inside his head in these uh, previous Zon books. You're, Eli is your point of view through most of it, but you actually yeah. hear Thrawn's thoughts. You hear, mm-hmm. see him talk about, you know, like the heat setting uh, or he, facial heat on people and things like that. Personally, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of hearing Thrawn's thoughts. I prefer him to remain a mystery. But for the purpose of this book, where you cover his history over years and years, it does kind of make sense to delve into his head. And you're right. He, he's doing the best he can to preserve life in the situation and yet is still very dedicated to his mission mm-hmm. so he's not so mission focused that he's willing to blow up a planet but he's gonna you know he's gonna try and save people when he can which is different i think than the original trilogy i don't know oh he, i don't know if he really pays attention to death count i think he's just out there to destroy he wants to wipe out the rebels well i don't think he would have had any problem wiping out the rebels in this one either though uh he wanted to keep casualties on that planet to a minimum but kill the rebels he was fine with that he was okay. sending troopers in there to kill the rebels. 
And then on Scrim Island, they did this one thing that I absolutely freaking love in this book. In order to attack the island, they, they shoot the water around it, causing giant tidal waves. Right, yeah. So freaking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, brilliant idea tactically. But that was killing tons of people. I mean, he, mm-hmm. I don't think he has a problem taking life as long as it's the, on the bad guy, you know, as far as he's concerned, the bad guys. And that, that's also an interesting thing, by the way. The rebels in this book are the bad guys. You know, they're the yeah. antagonists. Sure. They, uh, you know, you see that with higher guys, you see it with Night Swan, they're basically rebels except mm-hmm. they are the antagonists which is a very interesting perspective in the book and I think we need it sometimes because I think we're always, you know, I'm certainly more of a rebel sympathizer than I am uh, I Imperial, so. but there are absolutely, <laughs> did you say let's hope so but yeah. there are absolutely cool characters on the side of the Empire and we can't always be on one side, it's always nice to get that other perspective yeah, so you mentioned quite a bit Arienda, okay, yeah. up until last night, <laughs> my line in my notes was Arienda. Why, 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 why? Oh, man. What? Uh, that character, I didn't know until last night that she's in Rebels Season 3. That she is, yep. <laughs> now I understand why she has such a heavy role in this book. Yeah. Reading it, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is just going on forever. She's she's She is an interesting character. She really is. Mm-hmm. And I really did. Some of the politics stuff is really cool, actually. Mm-hmm. Like when um when that one politician sprays her with spice oh, yes, in order yep. to incriminate her. Oh, my God. I mean, I was like, oh, that's horrible. You know, and then when she turned on the rebels, I mean, that was all fascinating stuff. Right. But it just went on and on. I don't need to know about her apartment. You know, I'm like, oh, just move on. So I don't know. Her character annoys me. Will I like her better in Rebels? I'm asking you. Uh, no, yeah, I, I was thinking about it. Um, she, will you like her better in Rebels? I think so because she's just uh, a very vindictive and um, cruel person. And uh, especially in season, well, you'll, I guess, like to hate her. It'll be okay. one of those people. Yeah. Uh, especially in season four, she does something really, really bad. But yeah, it skips all that stuff. She's already governor. Uh, she and Thrawn interact sometimes. But yeah. And I like the voice actress who. who uh, so you're her. saying I, I'm going to like a vindictive, hateful person. Okay. So that must be what you feel about me. Okay. Fair enough. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a lot of things that mm, I'm not thrilled about with this book. Wow. Uh, I feel like so well, I feel like it, well, I feel like it starts strong, but okay. I feel like the middle just drags on, and then the and it ends strong as well. So it, the, the middle just really drags. Maybe that's when uh, those periods of time when I wasn't moving through the book fast enough for you. It was probably because I was just like, <laughs> yeah. Also, Thrawn. I never felt like Thrawn was any danger in the book. He never okay. makes a mistake in the whole book. He's never seen as fallible, and, and because of that, I have a hard time connecting with him. At least in the other Zon trilogy, he makes some mistakes. There were sometimes, again, as I told you, where his, his deductive reasoning was too much. But sure. you know, his slew his land, slew his van attack mm-hmm. uh, with the mole miners didn't work. He failed. Here, he is just success after success after success. I never felt like he was in any danger. How high do you think the stakes were, though, compared to the things that he was going up against in the original trilogy? Because well, he's I mean, just going against smugglers here. True, true. But Rather than the a Rebel Alliance, or I guess the New Republic. But even when he's, like, you know, hiding in the ship and they're facing Night Swan's troopers, I mean, there should have been some sort of sense of danger, but... I- I don't know. You don't it, think he messes up in the beginning when he goes on board and mistakes, not Cyril. I want to call him Cyril, but is that's not, well, Night Swan in, in his disguise. Neville? <laughs> um, I get, I, maybe you could say that was the first time. And yeah, maybe, but I mean, hmm. 
Okay, that, then maybe it. that's something. But he still turns it into a win sure. uh, with the buzz droids and all that. So I don't know. I, I have a hard time with that. I, I okay. need him to make mistakes. Like in the next book, I hope he makes some mistakes. Okay. Um, Thrawn's collection of Clone Wars artifacts was that just to remind us that the uh, the, 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 pre, the pre prequels happened? I don't. I, you know, the buzz droids were kind of cool. I'll give you that. But it just felt like why is this tacked in here? People are collectors. I guess so. I guess so. And uh, we are especially. So the stuff with Night Swan, I felt like there was a little, I don't know. In the Star Wars, is a whole string of coincidences. I mean, even Heir to the Empire, everyone ended up on Merker, you know, at one point. So Star Wars is always full of coincidences. It always, uh, but like I had a hard time with the Night Swan coincidences where like they met him there, then they're chasing him, and then they're meeting him again, and they, again and again, and every single mission they go after, oh, it's, it turns out it's Night Swan. You know, it felt like the Saturday morning cartoon villain because he was behind every single thing that they went after. Uh, and then at the Battle of Bataan, you know, Thrawn and Eli, they abandon the battle. They turn it over to one of their flunkies and they go to go research on Night Swan. They actually mm-hmm. leave the battle and fly. They, I found that hard to believe that the, you know, the supreme commander of this fleet just leaves to go on a sneaky mission, uh, to get intel on Night Swan in person. It just, I had a hard time with some of that stuff. And, and it's not at all resolved by the fact that he tries to get Night Swan on his side for the just ascendancy. Like maybe he purposely is seeking after this guy and he's putting in his little back computer that he's <laughs> he's looking for all the missions that you know followed th- this pattern that doesn't make sense to you it, it made sense i just felt like there was too much coincidence i guess okay and, and while i don't like the chis ascendancy aspect of the book i, I know, will I say know. him at offering night swan to join yeah um that was kind of a cool progression in his battle mm-hmm. with night swan where he he said look i respect you as an enemy enough to say i could use you, you you'd be helpful to us I, again didn't like the overall plot but that was a clever way to spin it and yeah. then and then night swan just dies off screen sadly that I'm hoping that's a setup for the next book because the the fact that he dies off screen is kind of like very anticlimactic yeah. It's like, oh, we found his body. He's dead. I'm like, what? Really? That's over? Huh. Okay. Uh, at that point, I didn't know they were writing a sequel. So that, and then I was like, oh, maybe that's what that is. Because, you know, you, you never see the body. So, okay. Yeah. Here's hoping. And, and I did like how Thrawn was, all of it was, all the missions were about metals. And it was building to Thrawn figuring out that the Empire was collecting all these metals to build yeah. the Death Star. So that was clever. I dug that and how he interacted with Tarkin. I thought that was really good. Yeah. So I've said a lot of meh things about this book. You need to tell me why this book's amazing. <laughs> Oh, man. It opened my eyes, actually, to the inner workings of the Empire in a way that I haven't really thought about. And I guess I'm naive. But let me tell you that I didn't realize the Empire was so xenophobic. And now when I'm watching, well, I have to read since I did the prequel trilogy, I have to do the original trilogy. I'm going to rewatch it. But the fact that they were all humans on the bridge and things like that, I never really sort of got I, I never really thought about it. But it was very interesting to see how people didn't like Thrawn's rise to power when he was in power. The people under him didn't really like him until he you know, had command of the Chimera, I would say. In school, it was really tough. Uh, even Eli's parents at graduation, how hateful they were. And I thought, my goodness, I, I had no idea. Did you know? Did you think about this? That the basically they don't like anyone but humans? It's been in the books for 30 years. So, oh, yeah. okay. So that's just me. So like I said, it opened my eyes to something that I, I didn't really uh, I didn't really think about. Yeah. This is my first one, right? I get so it. it, it's it's hard for um, me to, to compare to. So basically, the, a lot of the things I'm about to say are probably things that you'll nod your head because you read
read them. That's with. Okay. It's your first book. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that, that's what it matters. Was, yeah. I really liked Thrawn. I thought he was very intriguing. I enjoyed his military strategies and just – I enjoyed getting inside his head, especially with how he uses art and to figure out about the culture and then yep. from that to just expand upon it because I think a lot of people they don't look at the art as much I think we as human beings obviously we appreciate art but is there something that we're, we're missing when we look at it and I think you can of course get hints of how people are shaped by art and how people are shaping other people with art and so this is just something that you really get a hint at how cultures you can look at them and potentially fighting or how they're they're made up or you know their belief system just by the art and so the fact that he takes that time to look at that I, I think shows a deep respect and regard for the people that he's going up against so he's not just someone that is like loading in the kyber crystals to go and shoot the death star up and destroy the people he's actually <laughs> taking time to research the people so i really appreciated that i enjoyed his interactions with eli because you feel really bad for eli he was just yes, thrown did. with him because he could speak that language and then little did he know that it wasn't a one-day assignment but it was going to start <laughs> this really long campaign and and life together you know who wants a life partner with blue skin, who knows? Maybe I do. I don't know. As long as it's not Papa, as long as it's not Papa Smurf. But yeah, to learn about all the the things that they went through at the academy and then uh, all their missions. I don't know. I just th thought it was really exciting. And you're rooting for this guy. I mean, I was rooting for him because everyone hates him and wants him to fail. And so he's very much an underdog, even though he has these like extreme powers of intellect. Everyone wants him to fail. And my heart really goes out for for the underdogs. And I just think he's a super exciting character. So that's why I very much liked it. Now, I will agree with you that the, the price stuff, you know, politics isn't necessarily my bag there, but I liked and, you know, her story wasn't the most exciting, but there are those moments. I mean, she does encounter like the most betrayal and mm. intense, you know, intense stuff, but she then has to go along with it. I just like seeing, as I said, you know, at the beginning of this, the two of them as they rise to power together and just the different ways that they go about it and their characters because I feel like they're they're very different. Um, she is, I think she's more forceful and, and she just wants power for power's sake. And I think he is more gentle and calculating and he's got some other game. And of course, you know, when you listen to Star Wars Rebels, I think his, uh, I, I had to get a little bit used to his voice, but it seems like he probably would have this very calm and soft-spoken manner about him because he's not rushing. Even in a defeat, I think he would be very calm about it, which is, those are the type of people you have to fear. They're not getting angry, so probably something's going to happen. But yeah, I just, I, I really very much enjoy this. And I'm looking forward to, to the sequel because there was that history that he unknowingly has with Darth Vader because he doesn't know that Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader are the same. So now the sequel that is going to come out in the summer, this summer, mm -hmm. on July 24th, 2018, in fact, it's called Thrawn Alliances. And so Thrawn and Darth Vader are going to ally against a threat to the Empire. So Thrawn, as the publisher, I guess, little solicitation says, Thrawn Alliances will continue to follow the rise of Grand Admiral Thrawn to the heights of Imperial power and accompany him into the past, witnessing his first encounter with the man who will one day become Darth Vader. So we get to actually see this history with Anakin Skywalker. Uh, the big question is what side characters we're going to have. Uh, will we see Captain Peleon, I think you mentioned? Captain uh, yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, or the Nogri, mm -hmm. or uh, Eli. Will we see any of that? 
Well, I, I, I'm wondering how they're going to pull Eli in, unless he comes back yeah. from the Chiss ascendancy, because he's he's gone. You know, he went away. And so, yeah. what will be the point of view character then? If if Thrawn, because Thrawn was not the point of view character, it was Eli. So, yeah. is it? I, I wonder how they're going to do that. It'd be interesting. It'd be the so. captain. Well, it'd be really weird to have Darth Vader as the POV. Though you yeah. said they did that in um, Shadows of the Empire, right? A little bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was sort of like uh, Thrawn here. You know, you found yourself rooting for Vader in Shadows of the Empire because there yeah. was somebody worse than him. And in this yeah. case, with Thrawn, I mean, you, you were right about uh, Ariana, by the way. I mean, she's completely out for power, completely right. self-motivated. Whereas yeah. Thrawn, well, he's rising and he's he's trying to defeat the enemy. He's trying to do it for the greater good. Mm-hmm. He really is. What he believes yeah. to be the greater good. They're definitely different characters. I'd like um, to see him and Price go up against each other because even at the end, he feels like she was responsible for that huge explosion. Yes. So I wonder if maybe he'll he'll do something. Well, that would have happened in Rebels, wouldn't it? Well, they're kind of on the same side, so it's hard to it's hard to say. I mean, they don't have the best relationship, but it'll be interesting to see if alliances takes place after Rebels concludes because oh, then then they could do some interesting stuff. They could you know they could yeah they have a they're not trapped <laughs> by the TV continuity that way. yeah yeah I, I did watch my first episode of Star Wars Rebels last night. No, I'm sorry, I've seen some of season one. But I haven't come back to it in a long time, so I, yeah. I, I decided. I'm like, oh, I checked in on the the Disney app. I figured I had to be have cable and all this stuff, but no. It turns out on the Disney app, uh, you can just go in on like on my case on my Roku, and you can watch seasons one through three of Rebels for free. You don't even have to have a cable subscription, or anything. So I watched the first episode of season three, which was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an hour long thing, and we got introduced to Thrawn about for 18 seconds of screen time. <laughs> so really glad I did that. Yeah. But that's how I found out Ariana Price was in it. And then, by the way, that big uh, creature Bendu or whatever he is, it's training. Yes. Them. Do you yep. know who's voicing that? I think I did at one point. Doctor Who. Oh, which one? Specifically Tom Baker, the one with the scarf that everyone in the United States knew in the 80s. The guy with the scarf and the floppy hat. That's the voice of Bendu. Wow. Yeah, so right. it all comes back to Doctor Who? It does all come back to Doctor Who. So, <laughs> All right. So now's now's the Mona truth here. We are going to compare uh, mm, boy. Thrawn yeah. in Heir to the Empire and Thrawn here. So mm. do you feel like these are the same character? Do you feel like they're distinctly different? I feel like they are. Which because one? The same I, or distinctly different? Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, I feel like I feel like there are differences. Hmm. Okay. I don't know the Thrawn that I read in Thrawn and the Thrawn that I read in Heir to the Empire felt very different to me. Uh, he's still ha- he's still calculating, has a calculating mind, the appreciation of the art and everything, but he just seems colder and more evil and villainous in Heir to the Empire than he does in Thrawn. Okay. I have more of a and, – and perhaps this is the perspective thing because obviously with Air of the Empire, you're on the side of the rebels. It's that perspective. But I don't know. I just feel like I like Thrawn and Thrawn more. I didn't see a tremendous difference in the characters because, oh. again, I still think that even though he was trying to minimize loss of life, sure. he was still going to kill every rebel he could find. And I think that he would do the same, you know, in Heir to the Empire. He would still try and minimize loss of life, but he would, because you know, he sees human, he sees life as resource, you know, is, is kind of the view. So I still see it as kind of the same character, you know? The Chiss okay. Ascendancy difference bugs me, but that's <laughs> Man, just, I don't know why that, but it's, that it was it's, in like 10, 2% of the time. It, it's, the really cr- well, no, it's 100% of the time. Cause it, <laughs> well, because once it's you, his motivations. Because once you know it, sure. you look back and you go, oh, that's been his motivation the entire time. You don't think he cares about his planet? that much well you mean in air to the empire or in, in, in Thrawn. I, I just i'm not it's, i want to understand okay why you don't like the chiss ascendancy because in in air to the empire and everything else he wasn't working for the chiss he was working for, for the, the benefit of the empire sure and then we find out in Thrawn that actually the entire time his entire career has just been an effort to help the chiss 
mm-hmm. by working with the Empire. And that, so the fact that it's constantly in his head is what bothers me about it. But I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. So doesn't that contradict what you just said about not seeing much of a difference between the two? Well, that's, that's where I was going. It's like, I don't, in their motivations, the way they act in their missions, I don't see a lot sure. of difference. The Chiss is the only piece that I see is the big difference. Is once you find out, oh wait, that's in the back of his head the whole time? Hmm. Okay. Now, it could be that people who read Spectre of the Past and Vision of the Future and Outbound Flight and all those other books with Zon, with Thrawn in it, and that I've simply forgotten. They might be like, no, Shag, that's always been his plot. I, I don't think that's the case. I think that's the new thing. I was even reading some reviews saying, yeah, that's the new plot point. I, I, I shouldn't have micro-focused on it. Either way, the character of Thrawn, in his missions at least, I think he's the same guy. Uh, okay. I think he's infinitely cooler in the original Thrawn trilogy than he is mm-hmm. here. Uh, again, because you don't get in his head. He's at yeah. the top of his game. You know, he's just, he is the supreme commander at that point. You don't see him go through, you know, all, all the building and having to win court marshals and all that other stuff. It's still a good book. So, I don't know. I Are you going to get alliances, you think? Do you think you'll yeah, pick that yeah. up at the library? I'll definitely pick it up, but Okay. So let me ask you, is Thrawn a Mary Sue or a Gary Stew or whatever? <laughs> I would like to hear what your definition of this is before I continue. I, I read it online and it sounded <laughs> No, um a Mary Sue, as I understand, is a character who's infallible, who can do anything, who's basically an extension of the writer in the book. The writer is basically saying, I want to have a character that's so awesome because I think I'm awesome like that character kind of thing. That's how I, you know, the character can't do anything wrong and has abilities beyond the reasoning of what they should have, and they seem to be able to solve any dilemma. Is that a fair definition of a Mary Sue or not? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, perhaps overpowered. Yeah. I get, yeah, I just wondered if, if you were coming in with a different definition. I guess I can see where people think that he might be a Gary Stew. Um, but I, again, I, I see him making mistakes, though. He's not completely infallible. I think there are some of those times that you mentioned that he is <laughs> able to get to places that I don't really know how anyone is able to get to. But, you know, I, I feel like his, one of his first missions getting aboard that, that pirate ship was an accident. He didn't realize what actually was happening. Uh, even in the Academy, I feel like that card game, even though he had a spider sense about there's something wrong with this, he still played the card game and made a mistake. So I, I, I think he... I think he messes up. I don't think he's wholly perfect. I think he's a great military strategist and, you know, there are those types of people in history. So I, I wait to see what happens in alliances to see if anything changes or if he is still completely overpowered. Okay. I do think he's a little bit of a Mary Sue. Just okay. because a Gary, a yeah. Gary Stew, whatever. In Heir to the Empire, I mentioned there's that one scene where he's able to look at the time of how long they were in the Falcon connected to the Lady Luck and how many people went back. That's ridiculous. No, that could never happen. Un- unbelievable. There's no way he should have been able to deduce that. It's ridiculous. It's over the top. There's a lot of that in in the Thrawn novel where he does solve stuff where it's like, okay, I love the logic you wrote into it. There's too many other factors you're not taking into account that could have been there. You know, you're just following a through line of what makes sense. Whereas in real life, you sit there and go, well, it could have been this, it could have been that, it could have been A, B, C, D, or E, F. You know, so I, I think he's a little bit of a Mary Sue. Not necessarily the worst thing though, because it makes for an interesting villain. Again, different from Darth Vader, different from Palpatine, different sure. from Jabba. Uh, so different from Jabba. Well, he's a okay. villain in the movies too. So. 
I think it. I think it's there with Darth Vader and the Emperor and Thrawn. Well, I was just trying to name all the foes, but anyway. (sighs) Thanks for making me feel like I'm an idiot. I'm so sorry. Uh, So I I feel like I feel like while it is a bit of a a Mary Stew, Gary Stew, uh, I think it's okay. You know, Uh, I don't mind it because it makes him a very compelling villain and one that's very alien and hard for us to understand. Yeah, yeah, and which I think is the point of it. I would like to know more about the Chiss because I wonder if you know. Have you seen the Clone Wars? not much, but he's a little bit. Okay. But, you know, Darth Maul's people as well as uh, Ventress's people, you know, they seem to have – they all have almost the same power set, uh, but the characters may differ. And so I wonder if the Chiss are just like super intelligent beings, but we're just focusing on this guy because that's all we know. If if this were true, if the Chiss were super, super intelligent beings, would you allow his infallibility and missions and things? Hmm, maybe. If I... you knew that it was a racial trait? Well, I, we've seen later books that did feature some Chiss members. Um, oh, okay. I, I want to say that he is an outlier. Like his, his uh... level of deductive reasoning is still an outlier like because he, he becomes a he was a pretty high level person in the chist ascendancy as well I see. so I think he's even there he's sort of above and beyond he's a unique individual so we talked about his bloodthirstiness you know or ruthlessness in yeah. Heir to the Empire versus Thrawn what about compared to Rebels I'm concerned because you've not seen three and four, and I don't really know <laughs> what I can. You don't have to give me specific examples, but would you say he's extremely bloodthirsty in Rebels? I would say so. I think that it's more comparable to uh, yes. I think Rebels is more comparable to the Thrawn that I'm envisioning, anyways, and seeing in Heir to the Empire. Okay. He's, like he really, but he has this interesting. I almost ship him and Harrison Dula, but only for weird reasons. Uh, ship because him and he Duke? really oh, Hera? really okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, Kanan and Hera are my OTP, but he, you know, he very much uh, respects her, but wants to take her down, and he's pretty uh, cold, calculating, and unfeeling. So I would say he's pretty ruthless in Rebels. Okay. All right. So I think it comes down to the final question. Heir to the Empire versus Thrawn. Uh, Which book is better, or uh, if you want to uh, phrase it a different way, which one's a better read? Uh, yeah, I feel like these are two different questions, but right. I think that Thrawn is <laughs> – this is going to sound really weird, but I think that Thrawn is better, but Heir to the Empire is the better read. Okay. I can see that. I mean, I, I don't agree with it, but I can see where you're coming I, from. I know. It, it, you, can, you can expound upon that. <laughs> I just think that Timothy Zahn's uh, writing, I think, is – I think it – obviously, it's matured over the years. Sure. And I think – I just feel like it was it was very sophisticated and I liked the style. Uh, yes, I, I agree that there are slow moments, but I just think that it's a very polished work with Thrawn. And then when you go to Era of the Empire, not to say that's like a rag that I'm reading, but I I don't hold it like in as high of an art level, I think, as Thrawn. And, you know, this is really hard, quite honestly, because we both have read the opposite, you know, first. So I think that is obviously I hope that listeners know that that is coloring this. I I will not lie to the opposite because I think we are both biased in a certain way. It's kind of the whole point of this exercise, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. But so so I don't think it's I don't hold it as high. But I think that uh, the fun level is higher. The fact that we get to see 
and revisit characters that we left off in The Return of the Jedi is super exciting, as well as get introduced to new characters, is what makes Heir of the Empire a better read overall. Okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, Heir of the Empire is your summer blockbuster. It's the popcorn flick. It's um, it's it's the, it's Star Wars, you know, is what it really is. Sure. It's, it's exciting. You get the, like you said, you get the Star Warriors. Uh, it's like the next movie. And so, so where Heir to the Empire was all about world building mm-hmm. by introducing Talon and introducing Mara and introducing, you know, Pelion and Thrawn and building what the Empire looks like and what the Rebellion looks like in the, or the New Republic at this point, that was world building, whereas Thrawn is character building. Sure. Those are the two major different focuses of the books. So they both have a lot of merit. Obviously, I'm on the side of Heir to the Empire uh, as being a better read and a better book. But but I get what you're saying about, yeah, obviously, yes, it's been 25 years. Uh, Zahn has improved in his writing, certainly. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. But I still I enjoy one versus the other more. Yeah. But... Uh, I, I'm completely biased. You know, it relaunched yeah. my it relaunched my fandom. It relaunched everybody's mm-hmm. fandom. So mm-hmm. you wouldn't have the Thrawn book without having Heir to the Empire. Yeah. So folks, I think you gotta make that choice for yourself. So you yep. should go out and read both. Uh, I recommend you read them within close proximity of each other because it will really give you a different perspective. Uh, and choose wisely which one you read first. <laughs> Do you think that they should read the whole trilogy before they read the new Thrawn? Um, or do you think they could read one and then one? They could certainly read Heir to the Empire and then go to the Thrawn because there's nothing in Thrawn that spoils mm-hmm. the rest of Heir to the Empire, to uh, what, Dark Force Rising in Last Command because mm-hmm. they're you know two different continuities, so there's no spoilers. So you could read Air, just Heir to the Empire and then read Thrawn. Uh, personally, I recommend you read all three of them because they're just a rollicking good read. But um, yeah, do you think we solved the world's problems here? I think we caused more problems. We did? Okay. All right. Well, maybe so. <laughs> well, it's just I think people just have to make that decision on their own. So we went into this saying you were going to change my mind. Do you feel like you've changed my mind? No. Um, no, I, I think I gave you a different perspective, though. I, I hope I at least argued my side admirably and you tried to understand where I was coming from. No, you, I would say you definitely softened my opinion towards the Thrawn book. You did. Oh, that's so. lovely. Well, Stella, there's one big thing left to do. <gasps> that's the only reason I came on the show. You have to answer the yes. Galactic Questionnaire. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Yep. yep. You've heard. You've seen. You listen to the show. Good. You've heard the music. Okay. Are you ready? Here is the classic so. questionnaire for Stella. First question: Which tastes better, the stormtroopers cooked by the Ewoks or the porg cooked by Chewbacca? Follow-up question: <laughs> When did the Ewoks cook stormtroopers? Okay, the Ewoks captured Luke and Han, put them yep. over a fire. They were going to cook them. Oh, I don't and then know. at the end of the movie, they're playing with stormtrooper helmets. Where do you think they got the helmets from? They are. Meat eaters. I don't know. Well, yeah, but Lake isn't that little nutritional protein bar. Answer the question, ma'am. Okay, so. I'm going to go with the pork. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, question number two. Yes. Since you are known as a shipping expert, no folks, yes. I don't mean FedEx, no. uh, you must pick Ahsoka mm-hmm. and Jar Jar Binks mm-hmm. or Jin Erso and Bib Fortuna. Which makes okay. the better couple? <laughs> Ahsoka and Jar Jar Binks, of course. I think Ahsoka, who's amazing, one of my favorites, she will absolutely be able to keep Jar Jar out of trouble. And they're two of my favorite characters. Plus, Bib Fortuna is a horrifying looking creature. And why would you do that to Jin Urso? Why would I do that to either one of those lovely ladies? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Question number three. Uh-huh. Would you rather be shoved inside a dead Tauntaun to keep from freezing on Hoth sure. or shoved inside a dead Raphthar to avoid dehydration <laughs> on Jakku? Oh, boy. 
who, who's shoving me inside. Your choice. Same person in both cases. Though. I see. Well, if Talon Card is doing the shoving, <laughs> then I will go. Uh, I think I'll go with the Tauntaun. I enjoy frozen um, tundras more than I do hot deserts. You're hoping Talon's going to crawl in there and snuggle with you? Yeah, that'd be lovely. <laughs> Yeah, he maybe he spoons. I can speak from experience that Ryan does spoon, by the way. So, oh, uh, question number four: Who would you rather go on a date with, <laughs> Kylo Ren, shirtless, or Luke Skywalker after a long, sweaty day training on Dagobah? Okay, well, while I did appreciate the beefcake scene in the Last Jedi, I think I'm going to have to go with Luke Skywalker, mainly because uh, he doesn't whine as much as Kylo Ren. Ah, fair enough. That's true. Less temper tantrums. That's right. Yes. Although he whined a lot in A New Hope. But by the time you get to Empire Drake's back. Yeah, That's true. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Question number five. Uh-huh. Blue milk or green milk? Uh, <laughs> this is a tough one. But because the milk uh, cows, the cow aliens, mm-hmm. the Thala sirens are horrifying to behold, um, I'm going to go with the blue milk. Fair enough. I don't know from what beast they come from, but it seems safer. <laughs> All right. And question number six. Yep. Which would you rather fly, the Millennium Falcon or the Ghost from Rebels? If the Ghost has Harrison Dula and Kanan and all those people with the exception of Ezra who annoys me, I I will absolutely go on the Ghost. Really? Even if the Millennium Falcon is Han, Leia, Chewie? Because, you know, Chewie's one of the group, by the way. Han, Leia, Leia, Luke, Chewie. Still choose a Ghost. Yes. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That's your choice. Excellent. Yeah, I'm well, so sorry. Do you think people are upset? No. In fact, I think you did so well in the Galactic <gasps> Questionnaire that you get the uh-huh. one, you get one more question. It's the all-important bonus question. You ready? Ooh, okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. After the Last Jedi, sure. some people believe we still don't know the truth about Rey's parents. So I ask you: Is Rey a the daughter of Princess Leia? Or is she B, the niece of Luke Skywalker? Or is she C, the sister of Ben Solo? Um, do you realize that all those answers are saying the same thing? Oh, I don't really know what you're talking about. The mystery behind Ray Solo is baffling, and we may never know the truth. But Ray Solo? That's that. This question is sick. That's what I think. Um, I'm going to go with the niece. Of Luke Skywalker. So you think she is, in fact, a Solo. There's your answer, folks. I didn't say that. There's that oft-forgotten third child <laughs> that Darth Vader had with Bib Fortuna. Benny Benny Skywalker? <laughs> yes, of course. Benny and the Jets. Right. Yes. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much, Stella, for being here on Thanks Give for me letting me. Yes. Thank you for reading lots of books. I, I okay. know you don't know how to read, so you had to have oh. someone read it to you. At, it was I, tough. We appreciate Donovan doing that to you, tucking in every night and reading your book. Um, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the interwebs? Absolutely. The show that I started on my own uh, eight years ago is Back Row the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And on it, I examine Barbara Gordon's history from the beginning up to the current time. And right now I'm in 1998. I'm edging ever closer to no man's land so that's going to be huge for barbara as oracle and then of course i also have the modern title since she's in those i also do the oh and you can find that on uh the batman universe.net and on the batman universe.net i also do the bi-weekly podcast with uh dustin and ed which is the comic podcast where you just review detective and batman and finally i am on required reading with tom and stell i 
keep trying to get him to turn uh, that title around, but that's okay. Where each <laughs> month we actually uh, read a particular book that either of us have picked. We alternate, and then we it's sort of like a glorified book club, but we examine it and, and see whether it's it's worthy of whether it has a positive or negative reputation. And that's on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I have to tell you, I think your love of Benedict Cumberbatch was uh, was clouding your judgment on the Hounds of Baskerville. Uh, Why? Of the book. Because I, I, I think you're a little too forgiving of certain things. That's just me, but I think you're a little crush on novel? Benedict. I think your crush on Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> led you to see things in Sherlock that uh, may you oh. may have been projecting. Really? Uh, just me. Oh, wow. Okay. That's it. <laughs> Those are my three shows. I don't think I'm forgetting anything. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Well, again, folks, Ryan will be back. It's just a matter of time. Uh, yeah. Give him some green milk and some and some cooked up pork, and he'll be better than ever. You know he will. I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. Uh, until next time, folks, may the Force be with you. I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. Uh, until next time, folks, may the Force be with you. Doo-doo.